The cinemas, the silver screen, the theater, the big screen. No matter what name you give these houses of film, there's one thing we can all agree on. We love to go to the movies. Looking good, Francis. Well rested. Like you've been pitching, not catching. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me. If you ask me, everybody in this theater is a giant sucker. Especially you. It's a bit nipply out. I mean nippy out. <laughs> what did I say? Nipple. <laughs> I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Win or lose, we're gonna walk out of the stadium tonight with our heads held high. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. We have had a doozy of a day. Real doozy. I only eat popcorn. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. Welcome to Chuck Goes to the Movies. And now. Here is your master of cinema, Jeffrey Chuck Norris. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Middle Earth. On our last episode, Stephen and I continued our journey through the Lord of the Rings, and today, our journey comes to a close. Or does it? Bum, bum, bum. But before we go wrestling with spiders, I just have a few requests as usual. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. That is the best way to keep up with everything that's happening on the show. Rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. All reviews will get a shout out on Instagram and on the show. Also, I am excited, excited to announce that I have launched a Patreon page. Patreon is a wonderful way to support creators like myself, and there are so many ways that you can show your support. So be sure to click on the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit the bio page of all my social media accounts to access Patreon and learn a little bit more. With that being said, I would like to welcome the first patrons to show support for this show. Michael from We Love Horror Podcast. Love you, dude. You're awesome. And then I've got the Canadians, Mark and Brooke, the Canadian Jesus, from a podcast on Elm Street, also showing their support. Thank you, guys. I love y'all a lot. And uh, y'all are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And finally... If you haven't had a chance yet, go check out the first seven episodes of the 2021 season. More importantly, make sure you have listened to our Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers episodes. They're kind of important. I mean, you could go into the today's episode and not have listened to those, but you know, we might be referencing things from those other two episodes, and then you're like, well, what the fuck is he talking about? Well, go listen to them. So now, let's take up our swords and let's defend Minas Anor. So, my guest with me today needs no introduction. He's already been with us for two of these episodes, plus more episodes not related to Lord of the Rings. We are welcoming back my fellow traveler through Middle-earth, Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here and a little bit sad that our journey is coming to a close, sort of. Sort of, of, kind of, maybe. I'm sad, (sighs) too. You know, this has been a lot of planning in the making uh it's been we've been talking about this for so long and now we've been executing it guys i know y'all don't y'all don't see it behind the scenes here y'all just know we put out an episode every single week well almost every single week sometimes i need a mental break but we put out an episode a week 
We ha- Steven and I have literally recorded all three of these episodes within a one-week period. That's a lot of Lord of the Rings talk in one <laughs> yeah. week. I mean, um, before all the editing takes place, uh, with Fellowship of the Ring, we had over three hours of audio that I managed to whittle down to about two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, I'm still working on the Two Towers editing, but we had close to three hours of audio on that before my editing takes place, and I anticipate we're going to be doing something very similar today. That's a lot of talking about Lord of the Rings, and I'm not complaining about it whatsoever. It's just, you know, we've put our we put a lot of time, we put a lot of effort into this, and now it's all just coming to a close. But I get this feeling that our time with Lord of the Rings is just not quite over yet, and Stephen and I will be back to talk about this Maybe a little bit more. I'm feeling that little Peter Jackson itch, and I'm thinking in an extended edition of each of these episodes needs to be done. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, So while we have been trekking through Middle Earth and uh, taking our little breaks and eating all that Limbus bread because it's just so damn good, uh, has there been anything that you have watched since the last time we talked that you would like to share with our listeners today? Uh, not watched. I've been doing, uh, I mean, besides what we're going to be talking about. More um, Lord of the Rings, of course. Yeah, that, lots of behind-the-scenes footage watched, because, you know, why not? Um, I've actually been uh, not watching any movies, and I've been locked in a uh, a back-and-forth uh, with a friend over Mario Maker 2. <laughs> it's <laughs> been torturing each other with uh, Mario Maker levels. That's <laughs> been my my free times during the evenings is thinking of horrendous things that I could do to him. Um, it was such a cute game. Well, that's that actually sounds like a lot of fun. I've heard of this game, and uh, maybe I'll have to get it for Brecken for like his birthday or something. Oh, I'm sure he'll enjoy it. Um, well, I actually have managed to watch things outside of the Lord of the Rings universe, oh, and I, I don't know how I've done it. Uh, it's probably why I'm tired, but uh. Uh, there's three, th- <laughs> actually four things I want to mention. One of them um, I actually haven't watched yet. It was a recommendation from a buddy of mine uh, from work. It's called The Swordsman. It's a Korean film that came out last year, and it just sounds absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's about, uh, I guess, a samurai. Uh, I, I, if you want to call him, I'm not sure if it's a samurai or not. And uh, he is challenged by... Another per- So he's like basically the uh, emperor's right hand man and he's challenged by somebody and he ends up he ends up losing the challenge and therefore he is cast out of his job and his title and everything like that and he's forced to go live in the mountains and he's uh, also losing his sight apparently I'm not doing this description any justice guys <laughs> I'm sorry everybody's probably like oh what the hell is he talking about this is boring um <laughs> Anyway, uh, go look it up. I looked it up on IMDb, and it just sounds so fascinating. Um, It's called The Swordsman, so I will be adding that to my list of things to check out. Now, things that I've actually watched, I did a rewatch the other day of Smoke and Aces, which is a phenomenal, Uh, fun movie to watch. Just, It's so much fun from beginning to end. Uh, It's a a high-octane ride uh, from beginning to end. Uh, so I always recommend Smoke and Aces, especially if you like a movie that just has a bunch of famous people in it and it all works well together. Um, and uh, that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's got my man crush in it, right? Mr. Uh, Mr. Reynolds. 
It does have your man crush in it. Mr. Reynolds is in that movie yeah. as the F- as one of the FBI agents working alongside Ray Liotta. So doesn't uh, wear deodorant. Doesn't wear deodorant because of something. Uh, the mercury in it. I can't. Re- no. Um, some sort of metal that he was worried about absorbing. Titanium, maybe. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Adamantium. Aluminum. <laughs> Um, aluminum is probably aluminum. That actually makes a lot more yeah. sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it's got a bunch of great people in it. Uh, probably one of my favorite Jeremy Piven roles. Too bad he's mm-hmm. uh, no longer um, an accepted member of Hollywood. But, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, just a phenomenal movie all around. So the next movie, this is going to take you by surprise. Uh, Ooh. I actually decided... After we've been sitting here talking about uh, Lord of the Rings and crapping all over The Hobbit, I actually decided oh, no. to put on The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, the other day. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, here's my thought so far. I'm only like an hour into the movie. Uh, I, I, I did have to stop because I had to go to work. But uh, I think I finally figured out what the problem is. So my first introduction to The Hobbit was uh, the movie theater. So I got, I, I went to go see the theatrical release, but my buddy Justin and I had spent the entire night before, like, hardcore partying, and I was tired, <laughs> so I fell asleep in the middle of that. Th- like, not even five minutes into the movie, I was out. Um, so my next exposure to actually being able to sit down and watch this film was when it came out on... Blu-ray, DVD, and stuff like that. And I got the extended edition. Stupid me. Because I'm like, I love the Lord of the Rings extended edition. Why not love the Hobbit extended edition? And it is such a dull, boring movie. Yeah. So I turned on HBO Max the other day to look for something to watch. And that was one of the titles that popped up. And it's just the theatrical version. And I'm like, huh, let me put this on. And sure enough, I'm actually not bored to tears with just the theatrical version. I actually found myself like I was doing it while I was folding laundry. And I I was there were time periods where I was just standing there like holding a pair of socks, just eyes glued to the TV, actually semi enjoying it. So I don't know. Interesting. I mean, I have. It'll actually actually have it as one of uh, my points as to why I think the Lord of the Rings works and the Hobbit doesn't. Uh, oh, I can't wait to we'll hear We'll discuss this. later. I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. But I thought I would just share that. And I know we've, we've spent the last two episodes crapping on the Hobbit. And now I'm just like, well, I mean, it's still a bad movie. It's still a bad story. I'm sorry. Again, uh, a, the book like a Hobbit, the Hobbit should not have been split up into three movies. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people can like them. That's fine. Yeah. I've actually, I don't know if I've ever seen the extended versions of either movie. Don't do I it. Mean, of, of all three. I have the first two. I own the extended versions of the first two somehow. Uh, I came into possession of those, but I've only ever seen them uh, each once in theaters. Yeah. Um, in their entirety, I've I've seen bits and pieces, but yeah. uh, I can I can safely say that I've never seen the first Hobbit movie from beginning to end without uh, falling asleep at some point. Uh, I did see the second one in its entirety, and again, that was the extended edition, and it get just boring as hell. And I've never even seen the third one. I had no desire to see the third one. Yeah, uh, like you, I uh, for some reason own the first two. I just don't have the third one, but my brother has it on his Vudu account. So when I'm ready or I can watch ah. it on HBO Max. Um, so, 
Yeah, oh, man, I'm gonna have to get HBO Max. I've been watching more Zack Snyder interviews. Oh, I cannot. I'm wait getting for excited. <laughs> so I was supposed. All right, so I was supposed to take March 18th off because specifically because I <laughs> wanted to sit home and watch Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, and I wanted to be able to do it like without interruptions. Kids are at school, things are like that. But then they ended up changing my schedule at work and asking me to come in on that day. And I'm like, uh, uh, I'm sure I'll come but in. guys, Zack Snyder's Justice League. No, I'm, <laughs> but I'm going to watch that movie the day it comes out, whether it happens when I get home or while it happens while I'm at work. I'm going to watch it. Yep. I'm so excited for it. And it, again, it might be, it still might be a dumb movie, but I'm excited to see what Zack Snyder had. It'll, it'll at least be a consistent singular vision. Yes, time. except for the fact that uh, I stupidly read an article that uh, claimed where Zach, uh, Zack Snyder's like, oh, yeah, it ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. It Why does. are you going to do yeah, that knowing that you're never going to make the second one? Because it was originally supposed to be three different movies. I know. But... And, this, and that's the movie that he <laughs> But knowing so knowing knowing that you're not going to make the other movies, couldn't you have gone and just come up with some sort of conclusion to give us? Nah, nah. nah I'd rather That's just see easy. what he has, and then be sad that there won't be more at the end. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we'll see. We'll see. Come March 18th, we'll see. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about is I watched this wonderful documentary this morning. So I had to take my little break from Lord of the Rings, and I watched this amazing documentary called the orange years the nickelodeon story ah that looked interesting it is so nostalgic like nostalgia crazy um i i thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end i couldn't believe i watched the whole thing and not once did i get distracted by anything else uh fun movie it triggered so many fond memories of growing up and all the shows that we used to watch on nickelodeon uh going to nickelodeon studios there at universal studios and things like that it just brought back so many wonderful memories so i do i want to take a moment and shout out um the orange years actually i follow the production company uh and i'm in correspondence with the production company that produced this uh um this documentary uh ginger kid productions they're uh they're fun people to talk to uh it's a great documentary if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet go watch it anybody our age um would appreciate that uh nostalgia feeling from uh, watching this, and they even got a lot of the original stars of these shows to come back and talk about oh, uh, cool. these shows and how Nickelodeon uh, Nickelodeon essentially changed children's television. Um, so yeah, go watch it. So that's all I have for things that I've watched uh, while we've been on these little breaks. Cool. Yes. All right. So it's game time. Are you ready for your mystery question? Oh yeah, I'm ready. All right. So. Which villain would you rather face off against? Oh, man. A, the Witch King. B, Shelob. Or three, a Nazgul. Um, well, the Witch King's automatically off the table because, you know, I'm a dude. So <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to work out real well for me. Um, I think, uh, honestly, I'm going to have to go with, um, cause the Nazgul is just kind of like a nerfed witch King, which sounds like not a great time either. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think I'm going to go with a uh, Shelob cause, uh, you know, 
Sam was able to take her down pretty swiftly. I mean, Sam, you know, he's very courageous, probably more courageous than me. But if I'm going to have a fighting chance, I think I'm going to go with uh, Shelob. Shelob. Okay. All right. Because, yeah. I mean, I don't know, though, because uh, if she ev- if she tags you a little bit, you're probably done. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a given right there. <sighs> um, that's a tough choice. I think I'm going to have to go with Shelob on that one. That's, I feel like that. Would, I don't think I would fare very well against that, but I feel like that's where I'm going to have the most fighting chance. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with secret option number D. Just take my own life because oh, I on. wouldn't be able to face. <laughs> wouldn't be able to face off any of the. Oh my god! Uh, like you pointed out, you know, I'm I'm a man, so I can't take on the Witch King because only a woman can kill him. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm. I'm afraid of spiders. I mean, <laughs> so not as much as I am of as of clowns, but I am afraid of spiders, and I would prefer not to face off against one. You know, like that's ten times my size. Um, yeah. And then as for the Nazgul, again, you're. It's just like they're I, they're tamed down versions of the Witch King, but they're still. I, I no, I wouldn't want to deal with any of them. Uh, yeah, they still just wreck shop anytime they show up somewhere. Like it's always bad news if they show up. Yeah. Um, but I, all right, so I can't choose secret option number D. Uh if I had to choose out of all three of those, yeah, I guess I would face off against the spider knowing that I was going to my doom anyway. So Yeah. In all three scenarios, I'm dying. Like Shelob, yeah, I mean that's to say, I I'm probably not gonna win against Shelob, <laughs> but if I had a chance, that's gonna be it. I feel like though, if Shelob was a little bit smaller I'd be all right with Shelob because she's like kind of designed after the type of spider that I find kind of cute, mm-hmm. which is a big fat body with little legs. Uh, like the thin, I feel like the thinner a, spi- a spider's body is with longer legs, the more ill they get. Mm. Um, but like you get, like you give me a spider with a big old fat um, thorax or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I mean, I'm going to more than likely think it's cute, especially if it's got a lot of a lot of eyes, like Sheldon the Spider. I think that's what it is on YouTube. The shorts of the animated little spider, huh? Very cute. Okay, I, all right. I I can definitely see that. Um, yeah. No, I still no spiders for me. I don't care if they've got that's a big right. body. Lucas the spider. Look up Lucas the Spider. He's very cute. Lucas the Spider. Okay, I, I'll, I will. He's adorable. The only spider that I want to deal with is a daddy long leg. That's the only spider that I'm never afraid yeah, of sure. because understand they're they're fun. They yeah. really are fun. I don't know why. That's a one spider I I could care less about. I mean, they're not going to do anything to you. They're just going to kind of keep doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I used to let them walk all over me. We would have yeah. a good old time with. Daddy long legs. Um, good answer. Good answer. I like that. Uh, let's uh, let's dive into this movie. We are here to finally talk about the third and concluding story of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but this, it is not this day. 
an hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight for all that you hold dear on this good earth. I bid you stand, men of the West. So, this movie was released on December 17th of 2003, again, less than one year before its predecessor by exactly one day. So, here's how the breakdown works. December 19th, 2001 was The Fellowship of the Ring. December 18th of 2002 was The Two Towers. And now, December 17th of 2003, we get The Return of the King. So, we get three movies and technically... Less than three years. Pretty that's awesome. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. Like, I mean, what was the gap between um, Star Wars prequels? Was it two years? Uh, 1999 was episode one. Yeah. 2002 was episode two. And 2005 was episode oh, three. Wow. So three years. Yeah. Ago. So three and then two years. Yeah, they, they were very consistent yeah. on those. Um, yeah. I mean, granted, they weren't they weren't filming them back um, to back currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the same uh, time. so, yeah, and it's funny because if you uh, there's a uh, one of the behind the scenes that's available on YouTube begins with Peter Jackson on the Return of the King specifically. Uh, begins with him uh, saying, um, "My next movie is going to be wasted. I will never. This will be the hardest thing that I do. Uh, the next movie I do will be much simpler than this. I don't think I'll ever do this again." <laughs> The next movie like he did was, was King Kong. I know. That was simple? <laughs> Apparently. Well, I mean, compared to that, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And quite honestly, not a great movie. I'm sorry. I oh, don't. I, kinda, I, I have a soft like spot it. for it. Jack Black was weird in it. I just, I, I don't know. That's a movie where special effects aged really poorly. Uh, like the. Kong looks cool, but like the scene where like the dinosaur stampede is happening yeah. just looks terrible. Yeah. Well, um, but, they yeah. can't all be hits. Peter Jackson knows no, this. But they cannot all be hits and they cannot all age. No, it, the it's funny because like he does. I don't think he's really had a good movie since these. And that's uh, fine. Like, Lovely Bones is okay. Uh, Lovely Bones is an okay movie. But I mean, the Lovely Bones, that's just a step away from everything. It's like, I, I, I need to put this whole fantasy idea on the shelf and do something a little bit more grounded. And I mean, yeah. the Lovely Bones is a way better book than it was uh, a movie. Although the movie was beautiful. I've never read, I've never read the book, so I didn't really it's have any attachments to that. Super sad. So. <laughs> it's super yeah, sad. I, yes, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, the movie was very beautifully shot and very stunning and stuff like that. Uh, but it just, I don't, you know, that, that was definitely a big departure for Peter Jackson. You know, Peter Jackson 
could walk away from Hollywood today and say, I'm done making movies and know good and well that he gave us three of the best movies that to ever come out of Hollywood. Well, I mean, he would know that he changed the face of Hollywood. He did. He changed it. And that, that should be enough. But, you know, as a filmmaker... He's going to continue doing things because he wants to, and that's that's Isn't fine. He though? Like, does he have something? Does he have anything in the works right now, other than being? A, I know he's a producer now uh, for a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, that's a very like, good uh, actually. District District Nine, I uh, believe he produced that. It's a great movie. Uh huh. I sure. don't know if that uh, was a uh, uh-huh, was sure. appreciative or not. I love <laughs> District Nine. I think uh, I like all of Neil Blomkamp's movies, though. I have the unpopular opinion of liking Elysium and Chappie as well. Elysium, uh, I I could get behind uh, that movie. Uh, I just didn't. I did not like um, District Nine. I remember uh, again, Justin and I. Justin and I went and saw a lot of movies when we were in the Navy. Um, going to see this movie, and I remember looking at him like, "What the hell are we watching?" And he's like, "I have no idea, dude." <laughs> we, have you seen it since then? No, because that's all I remember oh. is just that I did not like it when it was in the theaters. You should watch it. You should give that movie another shake because it is so just flying in the face of what you think a science fiction alien movie should be. Like it is just the opposite and it's trying very hard to be the opposite. I was also like pre, I was also probably kind of pre biased for it because uh, that Peter Jackson and Neil Blomkamp were actually supposed to be working on a Halo film uh, and that fell through and then they did District 9. So there's a few designs that you can kind of see like in the ships and the weaponry they would have used in Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's just like a spec. Like if you want to see like some CGI done r- right, right. The prawns in that movie are a feat to behold and how they did that. Um, but yeah, give that movie another shake. I would say give it another try. I think it's going to be a lot better than you remember it being. All right, man. I'll, I'll, I'll that's a good, that's a good social, lots of good, like, um, social commentary i'm not a huge fan of that in films when it's so direct but i feel like that one does it really right okay i will um i will add it to uh the list of movies to check out like on a day that i'm sick or something um there you go perfect uh all right so according to peter jackson's imdb page he's got two movies under his director's uh credits that are are in the works he's got one that's coming out in 2021 it looks like it's a documentary about the beatles the beatles get back um i remember reading somewhere he was a big beatles fan and then uh he's got something in development called the adventures of tintin that's right red rackham's treasure so he is going to be directing this sequel to i guess the adventures of tintin yeah, I forgot that he did the first one. Um, also, he did that documentary, They Shall Not Grow Old, which is incredible. And uh, it restored World War II footage in color. Oh, he um, was which, he was involved with that? That's awesome. Yes, it's it's really good. Um, if, if anybody hasn't had a chance to watch it, I would definitely check it out. I mean, you got to, you, you know, you got to like Peter Jackson because, you know, he's done a lot of stuff. That you've probably never even heard of. I mean, 1987, he did this movie called Bad Taste. You ever heard of it? No. Uh, I have, actually. What? Um, because, I, yeah, because I was actually looking. Here's, here's You want to hear something crazy? I have loved The Frighteners since I can remember. Like, 
that movie came out a few years after I was born, and I have always loved that movie and never knew it was a Peter Jackson movie. Yeah, and um, I, I was just about to say, that's the only movie before Lord of the Rings that he did that I actually know. So, well, once the first Lord of the Rings came out, I was immediately like, well, what else has this guy done? He's probably done other crazy, awesome fantasy movies. And no, he's apparently done like really gritty horror movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so all he did. Uh, Dead Alive is also really – it's – I really enjoy that movie. I think it's a very good, fun zombie movie. Okay. I'll have to add that to the list, I guess. Yep. Yep. But yeah, Peter Jackson. I've never had a chance to see Bad Taste, though. I, I want to. I don't even know what, it, what the heck is I, it about. I have no idea what it is. All right. Well, I'm, bring, I'm bringing it up here. The population of a small town disappears and is replaced by aliens that chase human flesh for their intergalactic fast food chain. So yeah, that's that's what I really like about Peter Jackson is he's he's got some weirdo ideas. That is quirky. And, uh, like that's the way Dead Alive is. Dead Alive is a weird movie, and it's awesome. Of course, he wrote it too. Of course, he wrote it. Of course. Um. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's a uh, that's Peter Jackson in a nutshell. Um. For this movie, so th again, being the third in the trilogy, so it. Normally, when you're talking about individual movies, you're talking about a budget for each individual movie. Well, all, these movies were shot all at the same time. So when we're talking estimated budget, it's just taking the three movies and basically splitting whatever that estimated budget was and dividing it by three. So that brings us to $94 yeah. million, the same as the last two. Uh, opening weekend, this movie did $72.6 million, nearly... 10.6 million more than the two towers and then it grossed total 1.14 billion nearly 196.6 million dollars more than two towers that's crazy it's absolutely astounding uh, just a total gross of $1.14 See, I'm not the only person that likes a good conclusion movie. It's true, though. I mean, like, <laughs> then, you just like, well, like you were talking about, um, I, I went ahead and actually watched a couple of, like, uh, like Roger Niebert's um, uh, review for this one because I was just curious. I was like, I, I wonder if how, like, consistently the the critical turn on this goes up and as like they become more familiar with the, with the property and then like audience, like general audiences just going are with this. It's, it's weird to me that it was that popular and I still meet people who are older than me that are like, oh, yeah, I never saw them. I think they're boring. Also, I watched all whatever seasons of game of Thrones. And I'm like, really? <laughs> hey, you should probably watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's what my brother says all the time. He's like, you're a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, but you will not sit down and watch Game of Thrones. And I'm like, eh. I think Game of Thrones is worse. Uh, I, th I, think Game of Th I think Game of Thrones is good. I do not think it's as good. You want, you want to give me a spinoff story um, with uh, what's his face? I, I, I can't think of his name. All of a sudden, I can't. I can't think of the actor's name, and I can't think of the character's name. I'm just, and I'm going to take a lot uh, of shit for John this one. Snow. No. Um. You want to give me a Ned Stark? No. 
the little guy. Oh, Peter Dinklage. Peter yeah. Dinklage. You want to give me a spinoff show with him? When I did yeah. try to watch Game of Thrones, he's like the only character I could actually enjoy. He's hilarious. Well, he's the best character. He's the best character. <laughs> he's, the so, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's great. Give me a show centered around Peter Dinklage. I'm there. I, I'll, I'll ride hard for that. But the rest of it is it is just stupidly boring. Um and I, I I saw enough of Joffrey to know that I really didn't need to see any more of Joffrey. That kid just oh, needed to die a horrible seeing, death. Um, dude, seeing him get his <laughs> is is good stuff. I'm though. sure I'll I'll skip right to that episode just so I get to watch it. <laughs> um, why why couldn't they have just killed him off and Batman begins? Huh? Um, uh, sorry. Um, but I. Uh, no, yeah, I, I can't get into Game of Thrones as much as I love Lord of the Rings, but uh, I, I, they're very different beasts. Yes. They are wildly different. Um, so. According to BoxOfficeMojo.com, this film, The Return of the King, is the highest grossing film of the trilogy. So um, it is also the 24th highest grossing film of top, all time. So it is in the top 25 that's awesome. It comes in just after Aquaman from 2018 and right before <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home from 2019. I didn't know Spider-Man Far From Wait, how much I didn't know Spider-Man made that much. I was I didn't hear a lot of great like buzz around that movie. Far From Home in my opinion was not as good as Homecoming. Homecoming was a fantastic film. Um, a great uh, reintroduction. I mean, we had already gotten our reintroduction of Spider-Man in uh, Civil War, but like uh, for a reintroduction of a Spider-Man standalone, Homecoming was just a fun, fantastic film. Far From Home was capitalizing on Endgame. It was uh, capitalizing on the death of Tony Stark. So they that was a huge focal point through the whole movie. And I really felt like it brought down the whole tone of the movie. I get it. They were him and Tony Stark were very close. But I, I, I was like, it's just time to move on. And I also am not an overly huge fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, come on. He does good movies. I am going to give him he's that. So he he's, he does movies that I love. Donnie Darko, um, yeah. October Sky. He does movies yeah. I love. I'm just not a huge... Nightcrawler. Night, I still haven't seen that one. I've heard good things about oh. it. Um, Prisoners. Again, haven't seen it. Ah, see, that's why you're not a fan. <laughs> Watch his good movies. Enemy. Sure. <laughs> I haven't even heard of that one, Enemy. What the heck is Enemy? Oh. Yeah, it's really good. Um, it's a little that, that one's a little more out there. You got to put your thinking cap on for that movie. Okay, part. but no, I just had a hard time also with Jake Gyllenhaal playing the villain in this movie. So I, there's a lot of things uh, that yeah, I okay. think that worked sense. against Far From Home, but it was still a highly popular movie. So it's yeah, the I mean, fifth it highest the... grossing film of all time. I mean. Yeah, it, I, honest. Now that you say it like that, I feel like I'm surprised it didn't make more because that was the Marvel, quote unquote Marvel, whatever Sony. Um, that was the next Marvel universe uh, movie to come out after Endgame, right? Yeah, that it was literally it came out July of that year that Endgame came out. So I wonder if that maybe hurt it because like Endgame is such a climax. That you're like, oh. People were still, you know, have a, yeah, trying have to have a refractory period, man. <laughs> and again, like I said, that whole story was just, you know, 
curtailing off of Endgame. So it's just like, not only are you still trying to get over the events of Endgame, now we're going to take those events and we're just going to keep jabbing you with it. And not like not like a yeah. stab you with it. It's kind of like a, I'll call it a cat scratch. You know, when a cat scratches you with its little nail all the time and it's just freaking annoying and you want to punch the cat in the yeah. face. That was Whoa. what they were doing with the storyline of <laughs> Far From Home. I'm not a cat abuser, people. I'm not, I swear. I don't know. <laughs> Check the tape. <laughs> don't look in my freezer. Um, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> uh, they say Jeffrey Dahmer so started so killing bad. the neighborhood cats before he moved up. No. Um, hey, you know, <sighs> who know, you know who else's name starts with Jeffrey? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Combs, star of <laughs> Herbert West Reanimator. <laughs> Jeffrey the Giraffe. off the rail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a G, Jeffrey, but still. Uh, uh, G, Jeffreys are the worst. Um, you can't trust them. You can't trust them at all. <laughs> uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, gave this a 93% uh, critic score, certified fresh. Um, it is the lowest of the critic scores for these films. That's weird. I know. Uh, and it is 2% less than Two Towers and Fellowship. Um, and then uh, audience score was 86%, the lowest of the what? three. So this movie didn't get received as well by members of the audience. Still 93% for critics, still certified fresh. Let's see what the critics had to say. Yeah. Let me zoom in here. I don't have amazing eyesight. Why won't this thing zoom? There we go. Even with my glasses on, it's still hard to read. <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I've chosen to highlight some of the uh, critics that uh, we highlighted in the first two films because I wanted to see the evolution of their thoughts. Uh, so the first one I want to bring up is Peter Rayner from the New York Magazine. He says... And he wrote this on December 16th of 2003. So this was during a screening of the movie. Or the worldwide release, I don't know. The world... Let me start that over. The word trilogy, which was handed such a black eye by the Matrix movies, I have thoughts on that, is restored to its proper dignity with Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Now, if we remember, Peter Rayner did not like the first movie. At all. He liked the second movie, and he's no. a fan of the third movie. He thought the third movie did a very good job, as he said, restoring proper dignity to trilogies, as it was handed such a black eye by the Matrix movies. Okay. Uh. Thought about this. When I first read this, I thought about this, because I do like the Matrix movies. Yeah. I think they're I, I, I think they're incredibly inventive. I think they're incredibly visionary. Uh, the first one is just still so phenomenal and still mind blowing at times when I watch rewatch it. Mm -hmm. The second one just I, I took it to a whole new levels, and I just I love the second one except for the <sighs> except for the Agent Smith fight scene in the park. I. That's the one oh, black. Yeah. That's the one thing about that whole movie that I, I wish they would have just cut out. But whatever. Um, the third movie, the third movie did not live up to the first two. 
It is very true. The third movie is quite possibly the weakest of those three. But it still holds up. And I don't... I think saying that it delivers a black eye to the word trilogy is kind of harsh. Um, it's a solid trilogy. Ooh. Well, now it no longer gets to carry the rank of trilogy as they are releasing the Matrix Four later this year. Uh, yeah, but we'll see about that. Like you, like you put in your uh, your uh, Instagram story. Like we don't count Indiana Jones <laughs> is a trilogy. All right, so I thought. Okay, funny you mentioned that. I fought hard with myself about if I was going to include the Matrix on that, and I'm. I'm actually surprised when I, once I posted it, I I was surprised I decided not to include the Matrix on it because I do I yeah. love the Matrix trilogy. I will watch it all the time, but then I'm just like I felt like my my selections were just a slightly more solid. Although I am slightly also disappointed I left off the first screen. Once I decided to include Indiana Jones on there and say that I don't I I refuse to recognize or acknowledge uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think that's the reason I chose not to put the Scream movies on there because I love the first three Scream movies. I don't have anything against Scream 4. I still watch it. Yeah. I still I still think it's a good contributing member to the Scream franchise. So I recognize it as a part of that franchise. So I can no longer call Scream a trilogy, whereas I still only think of Indiana Jones as a trilogy. Uh, but yeah, no, I've, I was battling with myself as to if I was going to include the matrix on that list. And I'm slightly disappointed in myself that I didn't, but then I didn't know what I would bump off that list either. True. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's hard for me. Like I, for whatever re weird reason, I think because I just grew up, watching scream one and two those are just two movies to me and i never think about the third one i've seen it and it was okay um did we wait did we watch scream three uh way back when did i watch scream three with you i i want to say yes yeah, because it might have been that day like we just like binged a bunch of horror movies. Yeah, like, when like, I came over to your house Bateman and we just binged a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I remember we I think Scream Three might have been one of those. Because we were we did uh we did some Friday the thirteenth, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um did we did we touch Halloween or did we I don't remember if we did Halloween or not. No, I don't think so. I remember Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we did Scream Three. Yeah. That was actually the first time I saw Scream 3. Like really? Until that point, it had always been Scream 1 and 2, and I love both of those. Uh, so I, I just I never think of it as a trilogy, even though for a long time it was. I think what, what for me, um, makes a trilogy a lot of times is the time spent between a another installment. Um, and, like, how much does that third one close – the story like is that like could that serve as a definitive end yes to the story I absolutely oh yeah yes when it comes to scream i felt like scream 3 had they never made another scream movie ever 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 again we would have been fine it closed yeah. an entire chapter which is why Sc uh, scream 4 while uh while the fourth movie in a line of movies started a whole new idea so it was yeah. no longer about like sydney's mother or anything like that it just happened to involve the same characters but it was a completely it was almost like a soft reboot 
Kind of, yeah. Before that was really a thing. Which is like, what they're calling yeah, this new Scream was. movie coming out next year. Yeah. Is they're, I mean, they're, they're officially calling that a reboot. Yeah, they're just there. Which I'm, I'm be honest, I could use another Scream if it's done well. Mm. You know, and the simple I would fact like that they brought back scream. everybody who from the original Scream yeah. that's still alive, even though they're calling it a reboot, they're they're literally calling it Scream. That's it's not Scream Five, it's Scream. Yeah, and I'm like, wait a minute, we've already made this movie, guys. What are you talking about? <laughs> Um, um, kind of in the same way that I I like the new Halloween movies that are just treating it like there have there was Halloween one and that was it. <laughs> yeah. No, I um, I love. Wait, wait. You're talking about you're still talking about like the Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween movies, not the Rob yeah. Zombie Halloween movies. No, I here's a get. I like the Rob Zombie Halloween. Um, you are in good company here. We are okay, we yeah. are huge supporters of the Rob Zombie <laughs> Halloween right. movies on this show. Uh, they are fantastic films, and, and it, I feel like it doesn't do anything for or against the original Halloween movies. Because, no. I, again, I love the original Halloween. I even liked the sequel, as crazy as it was in that stupid hospital. Mm. Uh, I liked the sequel, and I, I, I loved where this new Halloween movie went uh, with crazy Jamie Lee Curtis. Crazy old Jamie yeah, Lee I Curtis. I think I thought and it was. I'm really, excited for the new one. Yeah, I'm excited. They filmed those here in Wilmington. I really wanted to be an extra. New trilogy. I wanted to meet Jamie Lee Curtis. That's the only reason I'd be an extra. Oh, that would be awesome. Yes, just like I wanted. To, they filmed the the new Scream movie here, and I just wanted to be an extra because I wanted to meet Courtney Cox because I'm a huge Friends yep. fan and I love Courtney Cox, even though she's strange there looking you go. now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she is <laughs> no offense to courtney cox she did not age well um but uh anyway uh no but so it, yeah we I ride hard say, for rob Zombie i think here. Could, i yeah okay good yeah that's i like those movies but no i i like what um danny mcbride and team are doing with the uh with the new ones i, yeah. I enjoy those uh but all of that to say, I think you can say Matrix is still a trilogy. Okay, the Matrix is still a trilogy, and I think so. I and I stand by what I said earlier. I still think it's a solid trilogy, even if the third installment was lackluster. Gets wacky. It, really. it gets really wacky. That's why I'm confused as hell as to how we're getting a fourth movie with characters that are dead. But it, you know what? They might surprise us. They might surprise maybe it'll us. be good, or maybe I'll just treat it like Indiana Jones. The fourth movie doesn't exist. Yeah, Kingdom exactly. of the Crystal Skull was garbage. It was hot garbage. The CGI was horrible. Um, one of Kate Blanchett's worst roles. Like, what the hell was oh, she thinking? Right, Harrison forgot. Ford looked awful in this movie. They did a, tired. He looked very tired. <laughs> he looked really so tired. tired. They did. A, they did a better job bringing him back as Han Solo in Episode yes. Seven than they did bringing him back as Indiana Jones. He looks. You know what reminded me of him in Indiana Jones was Harrison Ford in Episode Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Just looks like they rolled him out of bed for a single scene. He's like, "What am I doing? Uh, am I a Force Ghost?" I don't know. <laughs> All right. Can I get in my plane and crash it yet, guys? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I haven't shaved today. I don't yeah. care. Oh. <laughs> and then Steven Spielberg sitting there like, oh, I've got this great idea. We're going to put him in a refrigerator and we're going to launch him across the desert and he's going to survive. So I don't have you watched this uh, more tangents. I We've got plenty, I'm sure, lined up. But have you ever watched <laughs> the behind the scenes for Crystal Skull? No, because like I said, I refuse to acknowledge this movie exists. You should watch the behind the scenes. It's a lot of it's a lot of people saying 
I didn't want to make this movie George Lucas made me. <laughs> it's a lot of that. And it's awesome to see. Like Steven Spielberg's like, I don't really want to do another one. And George Lucas is like, no, we should. And he's like, okay, well, I just don't want it to be about aliens. And George Lucas is like, well, we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I th- It's hilarious. I think that's the other thing that ruined uh, Crystal Skull for me. As soon as they made it about aliens, I'm like, ah, you know, I, I'm what made the other Indiana Jones movies amazing minus um, Temple of Doom, which I still love Temple of Doom. Don't get me wrong. Uh, They're way more grounded in reality. That's what I that's what I really liked about them. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, um, you know, the last crusade. The last crusade is my all time favorite. Um, it's my favorite too. I think. I think it's like you're either a Last Crusade or you're a Temple of Doom, Doom guy. Yeah, you know? like you're you're in one of those two camps. Exactly. But uh, I mean, you know, they're they're those are movies grounded in reality. Whereas with Kingdom of Crystal Skull, it's just like, oh wow, let's just do an Indiana Jones movie. Let's include aliens. Um, Steven yeah. Spielberg's having an affair with Shia LaBeouf, so why don't we just make him uh, Indiana Ugh. Jones's son? Oh, let's bring back Karen Allen so we can just kind of tie it together with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, oh, and there's John Hurt just being a bumbling buffoon over there. Yes, <laughs> we've made a movie. Perfect. Cut it. We're good. Uh, and it's going to make there, millions. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously... There, there are some supernatural uh, shenanigans going on in those first in those that first trilogy, but like everything, you don't actually know if it's going to be supernatural until you get to the thing, and then it it is a little bit like you just get a glimpse, like when they open the ark. Yeah, that's the most supernatural the movie gets, and it's it's very fast, and it's the climax of the movie. This movie like starts out, they go to area 51 and there's just like, there's, they throw the beads and it like, oh, it's traveling. And there's just, it feels like it, it never begins grounded because all the Indiana Jones movies end up fantastical for a moment at the end, but they always begin essentially as like kind of like history, James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Like any, that's just kind of who Indiana Jones is. He's like historical James Bond. Um, yeah, that, that, that movie is a train wreck. If if you want to have a good time watching someone uh, very slowly pick apart how bad that movie is, uh, look up, obviously, it, it's like one of the oldest reviews on YouTube, but look up Mr. Plinkett's um, Crystal Skull review. It's hilarious, and he's right the entire time. <laughs> oh, I'll definitely have to look that up. And I lo- It's a lot of fun. I love your whole uh, James Bond uh reference there yes they're all very kind of james bondish especially that second one Um, yeah the way that begins is just like it's like a james bond it's like a james bond slash musical it's very colorful it's very fun Mm -hmm. um it 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 really is grounded though it's still grounded absolutely it's still grounded Mm -hmm. the only time it doesn't become grounded anymore is when you get into the mystics of that uh religion and stuff like that and a kaliman and you know taking the heart out of the chest and stuff like it's gross our parents should have never let us watch that there's a there's a reason they invented the pg-13 rating and indiana jones temple of doom was it um um that and Gremlins, I think, were yeah. the two contributing. Like they came out and <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> uh, you know, this is kind of for kids, but it's kind of not for kids. Really. Yeah, let's in, let's say thirteen year olds and up can see it. Yeah, Yay. but like even the supernatural stuff in like Temple of Doom or um, the Temple of Doom, I feel like is the only time where the supernatural thing is kind of actively working against 
uh, it's not just an elemental force. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, in Raiders, it's just it's just the Ark. It's not like it's trying to do anything. It's just the Nazis are trying to get the Ark. And then the same thing in The Last Crusade. It's just the uh, the Holy Grail. It's not like a weapon. It's this elemental thing that kind of exists. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not like, you know, aliens that show up in this giant CGI mess. <laughs> and the <sighs> mess it was. Uh, anyway. Let's let's pull this back and bring... <laughs> let's pull this back. We went on a few tangents there. I love it. A little bit. A uh, little bit. Uh, let's bring this back to the critiques. So next up on the list is Roger Ebert. So again, famously did not like the first one. Was... Uh, Gave a nice review to the second one. So here, December 17th of 2003, Roger Ebert had this to say of Return of the King. It is such a crowning achievement, such a visionary use of all the tools of special effects, such a pure spectacle that it can be enjoyed even by those who have not seen the first two films. And he gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars. I mean, I guess he's right i can't imagine someone going to see this <laughs> and trying to follow what's going on it, that that was exactly my thought i'm like okay yes yes i agree with you great roger wait there's no way in hell anybody's going to walk no. into the third movie and know what's going on unless you've read the books but even still these are these are movie adaptations of written word so yeah. You may know the story from the books, but you you don't know what they did in the first two movies if you haven't seen them. So you might be you might be you walk into the Return of the King, and the very first thing you see is um, the downfall of Schmeagol, and you're just like, "What the hell am I watching? Who is that? Why do I care? Why do I care? <laughs> didn't they talk about this in the, if you read the book? Didn't they talk about this in Fellowship of the Ring? I mean, come on, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's also interesting that he of all like it's interesting that a critic who started out not liking them um, would say that because I don't believe that in I I personally don't believe that if he had only watched the third one he would say the same thing. No, I I think he, I think his review would be very similar to that of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, where you just think it was poorly paced, it was boring, blah blah blah. Because I mean, obviously there are large parts of this movie that are nothing but war. But I think you would find those boring if you're not if the work being done by the first two chapters um, hadn't been laid. And I think that's why this is a the best. Like this is the Ur trilogy to me is like. A lot of those trilogies that we were talking about, like The Matrix, uh, Scream, Indiana Jones, things like that, you can watch each part individually and enjoy it, and it can be its own movie. You don't mm-hmm. have to have seen you don't have to have seen Scream One to enjoy Scream Two. It helps. Same thing with Indiana Jones. Same thing with The Matrix. You don't have to have seen the first Matrix to like. You go into the first to the second Matrix having seen the first one, you're like. Oh, he's flying? What are the rules? I'm confused. Um, because then they have to establish that in the second movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it ends with a to be continued, so obviously that's that's a little bit different. Same thing with Pirates. I feel like you could watch any of the three Pirates movies and kind of just have a really good time watching any of the three. Uh, I, I'm going to have to say no to that. Because really? You think that the two second, and three third are, one... Two, two and three are interlinked. If you go into the third one, you're going to be kind of confused as like, okay, so 
how did Jack end up down there in the locker? Uh, why is Davy well, Jones acting like this? Uh, not Barbosa? Who, who's this Barbosa character? The, they're they they're interlinked. They they play off of each other. You need you can't have three without two. True, like story plot beat wise, yeah. But they have lines of dialogue that explain why he is there before they get there. Like they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna go get Jack. I can't believe he's dead. Like it, they don't say it like that, but yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> I like, there, there is dialogue to kind of just get you up to speed really quickly. These movies don't do that. You have zero, like there is zero catch up <laughs> in either part two or three. Like they don't have time to have characters sit around and be like, man, remember whenever, <laughs> uh, remember when we met Gollum and we thought he was bad, but now he's, we're kind of working with his truck. Like there's none of that. Yeah. Like if you don't, if you didn't know who Boromir was, you're not going to understand why Faramir is so upset or why Denethor is so upset. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, obviously, they talk about what happened, but it's 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 not the same thing. I feel like these movies played the a very dangerous game of potentially putting people off with the first and second movie to have such an incredible payoff to not waste time in having a story that just re- reiterates itself for the sake of people not having seen it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really long tangent that didn't matter. And uh, I'm glad that he liked the movie. Yes, he did like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of liking movies, uh, Richard Roper came in. So on December 15th, 2003, he had this to say about Return of the King. <sighs> the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King is Peter Jackson's crowning achievement. So literally a two-word critique. That's not even really a critique. It's more of a... Praise. Yeah, it's his crowning achievement. It says nothing about the movie. No. Just a crowning achievement. And it was. I mean, it paid off for Peter Jackson. He won an Oscar for it. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, Things like that. Although I... All right, I'll, I'll get to that tangent when we get there. Uh, so <laughs> rewind this a little bit. So crowning achievement. So Richard Roper likes this movie. He thinks it's a wonderful a conclusion to <laughs> the trilogy. And I've got one more. I got one more I want to talk about real quick. And okay. this one, I, the reason I made a note of it is because it makes zero sense to me. And I hope maybe you can uh, shed some light <laughs> on it. I don't know. Maybe, okay. maybe it takes a greater mind than me. So this is from Jeanette. I'm not going to try to say her last name from the Las Vegas Mercury. Apparently, she's a top critic. Cool. On, Jan- on January 25th of 2004, <laughs> she had this to say about Return of the King. Jackson's hole. Hole with is H-O-L-E, that- not W-H-O-L-E. Jackson's hole. Like the city. Uh yeah, I'm. I don't get it. I mean, is, is she talking about um his rear end? I'm very confused. She likes the movie. She gave it a full tomato, three point five out of five. But she said all she says is Jackson's hole. I feel like she's like saying something, trying to say something inappropriate about 
Peter Jackson. <laughs> yeah, you know, is she trying to be clever, oh. but it's just not coming off that way? I I don't know. That one stumps me. That one stumps it's, uh, me. This is a riddle. Uh, so, uh, listeners, if any of y'all can solve this, the riddle of Jackson's Hole, um, <laughs> it, it, do not tell me it's a city. I know it's a freaking city. Um, please feel free to reach out to me. I, I would love, okay. I would love to know this. Uh, quite honestly, if I could reach out to her myself, I would. Um, so with that being said, let's talk about the 11, 11 Academy Awards it got nominated for. And here's the most amazing part. It won every single award it was nominated for. Yep. And as it should have. As it should have. But all right. So here's my little tangent before I read them off. Uh I really feel like these Academy Awards were not for Return of the King. I really feel like they were for the trilogy as a whole. It was time to recognize the trilogy you we just wanted to wait until that final movie. So like Peter Jackson won best director. Well, he w- didn't win best director just for Return of the King. He won for all those movies and it just was rightfully so that they wanted all those movies to come out to be like, okay, here you go. You've earned this instead of giving him an award for every single movie. Yeah. Um it won best picture that year. Um I actually meant to go look this up so here this will be an editing moment definitely so i'm going to look up real quick what were the best picture contenders in 2004 all right so uh, yeah so um here were the movies that it was up against lost in translation good movie by the way i like that movie uh master and commander another good movie i love great movie um the lesser of two weevils um mystic river boring oh wow and i didn't realize that movie that was was that new i don't know why i thought that was a 90s movie oh no, that was 2003 my friend and sea biscuit huh. that's okay yeah meh. <laughs> I, have you ever seen the show 30 rock uh i've seen episodes of it oh one of my favorite alec baldwin performances of his career uh, is on this show and uh, there's a there's an episode where uh, he has an old rival of his visiting him at his office at 30 Rock and the, he, the guy sits down on the couch he's like oh this is a nice couch and he's like yes I know it's made of sea biscuit <laughs> or it's made from sea biscuit and I, I just I laughed so hard <laughs> when I first heard <laughs> that I was just like yes that's hilarious so these are these are the that's movies funny. that Return of the King was up against I don't know, man. I feel like obviously we're biased because we're doing, you know, three, three hour podcasts on Lord of the Rings. But, you know, like, I don't think any of them are anywhere near as good. No. As Return of the King. No. It, like that was like, uh, I, like, I can't imagine trying to release a movie that year. Just being like, oh, God, we're never going to like, and like the intent is to win a best picture. Yeah. And you look at the release date of Return of the King. You're like, God dang it. It's just before. Oscar season ends. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. None of, again, like I said, you know, two of these movies, Lost in Translation and Master Commander, I really like those. Mystic Mystic River and Sea Biscuit, I could do without. None of them hold a candle to Lord no. of the Rings Return of the King. So, but so while this was definitely the best picture out of the five options, I truly believe that this Oscar and a lot of the Oscars it received was just a culmination of 
the entire trilogy. So we're talking best picture, best yeah. director, best adapted screenplay, film mm -hmm. editing, art direction. So this is actually the third art direction movie or uh, Oscar that it won. So each film won an Oscar for art direction. One of the few things where it's like they did recognize it three different times as the outstanding achievement. Um, it won for costume design, makeup, original score, Howard Shore, you're awesome. Original yep. song, Annie Lennox and Howard Shore. Uh, sound yep. mixing and visual effects. 11 Academy Awards. That's still a record, right? Um, yes, I think it beat out Titanic, which had previously held the record. Yeah, I think Return of the King still has that. The Return of the Kings holds the number one spot with 11 nominations and 11 wins, like we said. Uh, let's see. Titanic. So Titanic actually holds the record. Oh, so no. All right. So Return of the King and Titanic share the record for most wins, 11. However, Titanic has wow. the record for most nominations, 14. Oh, wow. I honestly didn't know that. I could have sworn that uh, Return of the King had that record. Cool. Look at that. You learned something new. Yeah, you learned something new. It's actually kind of a shame because it's three losses. Uh, two of them, you know, were kind of like, uh. So Kate Winslet was nominated for Best Actress for Titanic. She lost. Mm -hmm. um, she was good in it. I wouldn't say it was like one of her. I don't think it's one of her best performances no. in her career. Uh, best supporting actress, Gloria Stewart. I loved her. You know, give her the Oscar, damn it. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it lost for best makeup. Um, it won best picture that year, obviously. And this was a hard list it went up against. So here, look at this list. In 1997, best picture nominees were Titanic, As Good As It Gets. Great film. Which That's actually so uh, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt both won Oscars for. Um, the Full Monty, Goodwill wow. Hunting, and L.A. <laughs> Confidential. Look at these movies. Oh, these are fantastic That's films. That's a way more stacked year. <laughs> That's a way, except for the full Monty. I'm not going to say that's a fantastic film, but I sure. mean, this, but, uh, I mean, what contenders? Uh, as good as it gets, uh, winning acting awards. Goodwill Hunting uh, also saw a best supporting actor award uh, and uh, best writing. Uh, L.A. Confidential won awards that year. It's just it's such a fantastic list. Fantastic. Anyway, so, yeah. Anyway, so let's uh, let's ground this back here. Um, how has this movie so again you know like we talked about in two towers and fellowship of the ring you know we it, it's hard when we talk about the impact or influence the how it impacted our lives or influenced our love of other movies to separate out the three films without putting them all together if one did one thing for us subsequently the other two probably did yes. the same thing for us but as best as we can has this particular movie, Return of the King, impacted your life or influenced your love of any other movie, or are we just beating a dead horse to death here? No, I think this um, Return of the King, uh, It it's funny because it's something that I actually didn't notice until relatively recently. I say relatively, like within the last like five or ten years, um, essentially since the uh, MCU has really come to prominence. Um, if you notice, I've been making an awful lot of comparisons to the MCU with this because I feel like 
um, Marvel. I know you're making my brother jealous here. We talk about it <laughs> all the time. <laughs> the uh, their series of films that they did through the through the latest Avengers, I think, is the closest Hollywood has gotten to repeating something at such a scale. I still don't think they managed to meet what happened with Lord of the Rings. It's you know actually going there to these locations in New Zealand and like the amount of time that was spent. Um, like there was three years of pre-production before they started rolling. Yeah. On top of the year and a half of principal filming, post-production, then reshoots. Like it's you know the if for three movies, not ten years of movies. But uh, anyway, um, it showed Return of the King specifically showed me how most movies lack good endings. I think like it's kind of it's <laughs> it's it's influenced my love of other movies in that most of them do not. Um, stack up like I'm usually fairly disappointed in a movie that tries to have a happy ending Mm -hmm. and I think that's why you generally get like obviously at a philosophically like base level to have a story about um, drama and conflict and it not end with some sort of final sacrifice is like (laughs) that's baked into us at like a human level that's just like fundamentally what we look for um, it can't all be happy rainbows and roses at the end of the day and us to be satisfied. Generally speaking, some people like that. And that's fine. Um, but if you look at like popular endings to movies, they're usually either sad or there's like uh, a melancholic feeling that leaves you. And there's only one other movie that I can think of that ends so happily as Return of the King does. Um, and it's the Shawshank Redemption. I feel like that's the only other movie that earns its happy ending. Hmm. Okay. Uh, because that movie is like the ending of the Shawshank Redemption is just a, isn't, I guess spoilers if you haven't seen that movie, but it's, it has a very happy ending and it's the most, it's everything you want to happen. Um, and it's still satisfying. Usually if a movie gives me everything that I, that it thinks I want, I usually feel gypped. I'm like, ah, kind of wish you had done something different, but okay. Or I didn't feel like you earned this moment. Like the, uh, the ending of this where Aragorn and, um, and Arwen finally get to kiss at the end. Usually I'm just like, ugh, whatever, you know, you know, like I don't mind the romantic storyline if it's done well, it's not that I have an issue with that. It's more times that, you know, like the superhero kisses the girl and I'm like, I don't care. Let's just move. They they just like, they like each other because they're both hot and because that's what happens in movies. Like that's okay. Um, This movie, like that's what I want to, like they need to do that. They, the hobbits need to come back to, hobbiton they like this needs to happen or it's all for nothing because mm-hmm. it's the point of that's literally the point of their journey is they're they have to win or all of it is for nothing um so yeah i feel like i'm i'm scatterbrained and trying to try to piece my thoughts together on this but like uh, so the uh i guess i'm just going to talk about the ending of the movie at the gray havens i feel like that scene works would not work if it was made today in the modern climate of Hollywood. Cause think about every major dramatic moment in the Marvel cinematic universe outside of the ending of Endgame. That's the only time where they didn't do this. Um, they always 
have a joke to undercut the drama. Yeah. Always. They had one major death in Avengers Part 2 with um, Quicksilver. And his dying, with his dying breath, he says a joke. Uh, in Doctor Strange, when he finally puts on the cape and accepts who he is, there's a joke of the cape kind of getting in his face. Like the collar is getting in his face. Mm-hmm. And they they consistently do that, and it's insincere, and it's letting you know, hey, don't worry. We know you know you're watching a movie. We know too. It's okay. Don't feel <laughs> feelings too much. Uh, that's what I feel like is happening. Like I don't need you to remind me I'm watching a comic book movie. I don't need you to remind me of that. Like, do good writing and have dramatic moments. That's what I'm here for. Uh, and that's what I love about this movie is it just commits to having the dramatic moments without undercutting them. And that's how it's affected my my love of other movies or just storytelling in general is that it 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 showed everyone how you end a story. And then I feel like no one listened. <laughs> it's kind of what happened. Like, you know, whatever. You, you, like I said, movies end fine all of the time. They're, you know, they're. Whatever. Um, I feel like none of them learned the right lessons from the Lord of the Ring, though. Mm. But I don't know if that necessarily answers the question. I think it answers the question beautifully. Okay. I think it answers it very beautifully. Um, well, you know, to continue what I said from the Two Towers episodes, you know, I love a good conclusion mm. story. So, yeah. That's how it continued to influence my love of uh, movies. It's just, you know, continuing to love a good conclusion story. And for the most part, even if the conclusion story isn't the best story, I tend to love it. Um, that's not the case here. I think this conclusion story is the best. But there have been exceptions. You know, as I'm thinking about this, there have been exceptions to this rule, too. Not every conclusion story is worth the time or the energy or can you can't say that it was a positive conclusion story. So, you know, a little tangent here, star Wars episode nine, uh, you know, it had some fun scenes in it, but it, it was just an awful conclusion story. I, I, I don't, I did not feel satisfied by the end of that movie. Like I, I it had me, it left me with more questions than it did. I don't answers. Know. Uh, Quick aside about episode nine. I don't know if I've told this before. Um, in the theater when I was watching it, when uh, Ray and Ben kiss, the entire theater groaned. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing. But anyway, continue. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't remember. I don't remember people groaned when I saw it in the theaters. But I remember thinking like, ah, they're not they're not meant to be together. They need to no. stop trying to push this love story. Um. Yeah, just not a good conclusion story. Uh, I've already talked about it. Matrix Revolutions, the third, the third movie. I mean, it, it gave it gave you the answers. It probably just wasn't the answers yeah. we wanted, um, and it was a very, very convoluted trip to get there. So it just not a good conclusion story. Um, couldn't hold a candle to the first two. Um, the Twilight Saga. Let's just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, you know, but if, if I was going to talk about the Twilight Saga, you know, Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, just awful films. Uh, the final season of Lost, what a huge disappointment that was. Um, 
you know, the final episode of Dexter, I went on a rampage mm. on that one a couple of episodes ago. Um, the point is, not awesome, every conclusion but... story is good, but when they are like they are here in Return of the King, it's just, it gives you that warm and fuzzy feeling that everything that happened before this was worth it. Sitting through Fellowship of the Rings and Two Towers is not a chore. It's a pleasure. And like I said last episode, Two Towers is my least favorite of three. And if I'm saying, and I'm also saying it's still a fantastic film. So if I'm calling it my least favorite, that's still saying it's wonderful film. Sitting through it was a pleasure. And we got to enjoy the fruits of that labor in this movie. So that's what I love yeah. about conclusion stories. Yeah, when they're done well, they're they're spectacular. They're uh, that scene between Luke and Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. Yes, I mean, uh, you and you only had you only had uh, you just you learned about that relationship just in the previous movie. So you did you mm. didn't have several movies of build up to get that resolution, but. But they when they left well you enough. with that cliffhanger of a storyline in Empire Strikes Back, you want you had to have that resolution. You wanted that resolution, and they they did it spectacularly. And then yeah. in the bigger picture of it, once you start bringing in episodes one, two, and three, it just makes that resolution even grander. Knowing what Anakin went through, the transformation from being that young dumbass kid from Tatooine. Becoming the whiny little brat of a Jedi to becoming <laughs> Darth Vader. Just that it just makes that resolution story even better. I, I could have lived without ever seeing episodes seven, eight or nine ever. Yeah, they they had literally nothing, nothing of value. So um, that's what I got to say about that. Yeah. Let's talk cast, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to the cast here. Um, again, uh, we really don't want to highlight anybody who's been from in the first two installments. So we're really going to only talk about people who uh, appeared in this movie making their first appearance or their first official appearance via this movie. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is actually somebody you're not really going to recognize as a character in the film. But I just wanted to bring him up. Have you ever seen the show Fly to the Concords? Yes. All right. One of the show's creators and stars, Brett McKenzie, is in this film. He is? As an elf escort. Oh, that's awesome. I, that makes a lot of sense. He's a Kiwi, so that makes sense. Yeah. I love Flight of the Concords. Yeah, it's a very bizarre show. Um, I mean, just the musical. I was actually didn't realize there was a show. I just li I liked their music. Those two guys are very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Brett McKenzie is actually dragon is very funny. Oh yeah, <laughs> Brett McKenzie has actually won uh, an Oscar for his music. I don't remember what movie. Really? Uh, see now, now, now you're going to make me go look. Uh, I didn't make a up. note of that. I just remember knowing that he uh, won an Oscar. Brett McKenzie. Brett McKenzie. Are you doing that? The guys from Flight of the Concords and the director and writer of Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, uh, made a very funny movie called What We Do in the Shadows. And they FX is making currently in the middle of making an American version for TV, and it's not as good 
that movie's hilarious. It's a mockumentary about um, Victorian era vampires being roommates in modern day New Zealand. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, my friend Courtney wants to talk about that on a future episode. It is. Hel- I'm assuming you're not a fan from the tone. Of I've your never voice. actually seen that- it. So that movie is hilarious. It's so good. Yeah. If you're a fan at all of like that style of humor, like, like, um, kind of like a little bit of, is there a little bit of the humor in Thor Ragnarok, but more like the flight of the Concord side of it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much so that style of humor. It's, it's witty, dry and smart. Gotcha. Um, Brett McKenzie won an Oscar for Best Achievement in Music written for a motion picture. So he won an ori- uh, for original song for the song for the song Man or Muppet for the movie The Muppets oh in 2011. God. I had no idea he wrote that. I love that song. <laughs> I've never actually seen the movie, so I don't know what the song is. It is wholesome. It's the song's hilarious and it's actually a really great song like it's it's a fantastic song all right uh, one maybe one of these days i'll actually sit down and watch the movie um i know i said i wasn't going to talk about somebody who's already been in the previous two movies but i i do want to do a nice little shout out here to andy circus who actually got to yes be in this movie as mm-hmm a real person not some sort of motion capture cgi character so we got to see andy circus uh bring schmeagle to life there in that opening sequence uh but it also happens uh, don't hate me it also happens to be one of my big uh this also includes one of my biggest nitpicks Ooh, okay so when we get there we'll talk about i have nothing against andy circus Nothing I think I know it. what it's going to be. Oh, uh, you think you know. Before you say it, once we get there. You think you know. What do you think it oh, is? Oh, okay. Let's go ahead and talk uh, about I it. Think it's, I think it's kind of the crap, how crap the underwater looks. No, that's actually not it. It so, looks garbage. Uh, it does look garbage. They're, it's so bad. <laughs> not not one of P- uh, Peter Jackson's best CGI efforts there. Nah. Um, no, no, it has nothing to do with that, actually. Although I do oh, think okay. about that every time I watch that sequence. Like, God, this looks like awful. Uh, my no, 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 no. I'll get there when we get there. <clears throat> okay, we'll get um, there. Because it'll make more sense as part of another little rant I go on later. Uh, so, gotcha. Shout out to Andy Circus there. Uh, in the extended editions, uh, we do ha- get our conclusions for Brad Dorf and Christopher Lee. So, bye bye, you mm-hmm. two. Uh, Bruce Spence, speaking of the Matrix trilogy, uh, plays the Black Lieutenant, the Mouth of Sauron, in the extended mm-hmm. edition. So, you don't get to see it in the theatrical release, but you get to see it in the extended editions. Um, and I am actually going to talk uh, about that a little bit at length uh, a little bit later in this episode because it's uh, a fantastic little scene. And I'm yes. actually upset that they decided it only could be included in the extended edition. Yeah, it, I felt like it was it was so wonderfully done. Why didn't you put this in the theatrical release? Um, I'm I'm going to give you a little heads up here. I'm not actually talking mm-hmm. about any new actors here <laughs> because there really wasn't any new introductions <laughs> to this movie. Denethor was, Denethor was episode, officially, was you know, introduced towers. during Two Towers, but again, during a, an extended release. So this is actually John Noble's first appearance in the trilogy yeah. if we were talking strictly theatrical releases. Um, Craig Parker 
Craig Parker's back, but he's not playing the same role. He died in Two Towers. He got to play um, an orc. Oh, that's cool. He was already on set, so he gets an uncredited role as an orc. Might as well. Might as well. I would have done it. I'd have been like, as soon as my character time is up, it's like, hey, Peter, you need me for anything? You need an extra uh, orc? Somebody somebody to stand in for an ent? I don't know. Tell me what you need. (laughs) Um, So, yes. And then uh, some other fun uncredited uh, shout outs here. Howard Shore was in this movie. The movie's he a composer. He was a drinking yeah. Rohan soldier during the party oh, scene fun. at the beginning of the movie. Um, you've got uh, Royd Tolkien, the great-grandson of mm-hmm. Tolkien himself in this movie as a Gondorian ranger. Yes. Which I thought that was a fun little Yeah, that's, that's very nice. Uh, uncredited. And then the last person I want to bring up, and again, another uncredited role. And I found this kind of interesting that uh, it went uncredited. Uh, the Witch King was voiced by John Stephenson. Now, it's not a name you would recognize, but I guarantee you would recognize a lot of the stuff that John Stephenson did. He was a career voice actor who lent his voice to many cartoons and many animated features and television shows throughout his career. But he got oh, to cool. uh, voice the Witch King and not take any credit for it. Yeah, neat. Uh, shout, quick shout out, though, to all of the um, I don't think we've mentioned them so far, but Peter Jackson gets a nice little cameo in all three movies. Yes, I thought about talking about his cameo in um two towers because um actually no i thought about talking about it in fellowship of the ring because that's actually i think one of the more pronounced cameos yes it's just this random shot of him staggering into frame holding a carrot Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) which apparently he did because he originally had a uh, a pipe and uh, smoking the pipe actually made him feel sick to his stomach. So he just grabbed the first thing he saw, which was a saw carrot. Saw a carrot. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and then he was in Two Towers. He was in the Battle of uh, Helm's Deep. Threw a spear. Yes. And then what was he in the third one? I already forgot. He is one of the pirates. Uh, it's actually, it's him. So whenever they come out of the uh, the crypt area, when uh, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. Oh, they come the out of the dead side. city. Yeah. Yes, they uh, the pirates. Whenever they come up, uh, Peter Jackson is actually the pirate that gets shot uh, by Legolas. Oh, very fascinating! And the uh, I believe the cinematographer is doing a cameo at that is one of the pirates, and I know the head of what a workshop is also um, one of the pirates. That there might be more, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, but yeah, fascinating. Yeah, a little fun, fun little Easter eggs to see. It's funny because by that point, when I was watching them in theaters, I very much so knew what he looked like, um, and I was like, "Hey, that's him!" And then he gets shot. I'm like, "Ah, that's funny." <laughs> like, bye, bye, Peter Jackson, bye, bye. <laughs> um, so in this movie, who was your favorite actor or actress? Who won this Ooh, movie man. for you? This is this is a tough one because uh, we always say you know we've said through both episodes everyone's just coming with their A game but like everyone's delivering so well in this movie it's so hard to pick just one yeah I'm gonna I agree 
Okay, so I think the way I'm going to break this down is I'll save, instead of a performance, I'll save it for one of my favorite scenes or moments. So I can limit it to two. Uh, I think um, Theoden, mm. this is like really his time to shine in this movie. Like, I, I think he's great in Two Towers as well, you know. Um, not to take away from his performance there, but like the speech he gives in this one. Mm. Like there's this movie has two incredible speeches given off of horseback, and that is one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and like he, get, he just rallies the entire army, and you're just like, oh my god, this is incredible. This, if I'm not mistaken, that's also the scene where they uh, they actually use the New Zealand um, military. Okay. Um, for the Riders of Rohan. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, so they were. That's they had the the formations all down, and apparently the stunt men were a little bit scared to fight them because they didn't pull their swings. So. Um, but yeah, I would say Thaden, like he is, he gets the completion of his character arc where he he finally gets to ride out in glory. He gets that moment, and he has that interaction with his with his daughter as well as he's dying mm-hmm. on the battlefield. Um, and it's just it's, well, his he niece, gets like, his, not his daughter. Yeah. Yeah, what? Yeah, but I mean, like, it's. I always forget that that's what's happening there because it's just the kind of relationship they yeah. have. Like, they've developed that relationship so well over the two movies. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's really it for me. Uh, is that Faden is just like getting to see the conclusion of his story. I thought he had a really. He's also one of the few uh, sacrifices that the movie has like not all that's something to really think about in these movies is that not a lot of characters die in two and three like you have some side characters who eat it but you know yeah not a lot of none of our main core crew yeah. is uh in the traditional sense dying in these movies mm-hmm. and uh i think this as an aside i think that's very interesting that these the enemies like the enemy in this movie feels far more dangerous than something like in the hobbit um like that i feel like between like the there's something internally consistent here that like even whenever um uh uh eowyn is fighting the witch king like just like she gets she takes that hit with the shield you can see how much pain she's in well yeah um, because i mean i think they were supposed to simulate her breaking her arm like yeah what happens you're in just the book. like oh that looked so painful yeah. oh god <laughs> um but anyway, so like his sacrifice is one of the f- few that we actually get in this movie, and it it really sells. I think like the midpoint climax because there's a lot of fighting in this movie. There's so much. I always forget how much there is. Mm-hmm. Like that second disc is pretty much just fighting. That's all it is, dude. Um, I was thinking about that earlier today. Like you know, again watching just watching the movie, trying to finalize all my notes for this talk and everything like that. And I, of course, I only watch the extended editions of these movies. You know, this is a four, almost a four and a half hour movie. And the entire second half of it is war. War. And it's fantastic. Yeah, it it it, you, it never feels too much. Mm-hmm. Like, a, it would be very easy for something like that to just really, your eyes just kind of glaze over. You're like, I am done. I don't, <laughs> you know, um, but uh, anyway, and then I think my other performance is actually Elijah Wood as Frodo. Like, I think Frodo has to do a lot in this movie that could come across to either make him unlikable yeah. or um, 
maybe not annoying, but like when he when they're lying on the side of Mount Doom. Ah, um, oh, it's one of the best scenes. It's so amazing, and uh, he uh, he's saying how he can't remember the taste of water or the the feeling of grass yeah. or what the sun looks like, and then you realize you're like. Like in that moment, I remember feeling I'm like, I don't know if I remember those things either. <laughs> it's all we take the little things for granted in life, you know? Yeah, it's like that's, beautiful scene. It's such an yeah, it's so incredible to like really juxtapose where you came from at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring and how that's all he wanted was to go on an adventure and he got one and this is where he ended up. My own adventure um, turned out to be quite different. Quite different. Yeah. And that was before he said that before things got I really know. bad. <laughs> Um, if only you knew. If only you knew, yeah, Frodo. If only. And then, like, the ending could be very, like, like it could have come across as very, like, you know, saccharine and, like, overly schmaltzy whenever he's having <laughs> yeah. to, whenever he turns around and just smiles back at them. I was thinking about, like, man, I feel like if anyone else was cast in that role, if anyone else was making this movie, that moment would be so dumb. Like, cause it's just this really prolonged sequence of, of him looking back and smiling and Elijah Wood just freaking nails it. He rides that line just right. Whether that's, you know, decisions he was making or the direction of Peter Jackson in that moment, or maybe a combination of the two. Um, I, I, yeah. I imagine Peter Jackson standing behind the camera and like, all right, Elijah, I'm going to hold up your final paycheck and I want you to look yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. this is what you've been working for right here. And if you don't look happy to see it, I'm going to fucking burn it. Yeah, yeah, that's probably probably something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, he looked very happy in that scene. But, you know, he's at peace finally. And I yeah. love how he explains that to Sam, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I love how he explains that to Sam. He's like, you know, he set out to, we set out to save the Shire and we did. Just not for me. And yeah, which is why me. he, and you know, so when he turns back and he looks at Sam, Mary, and Pippin, leaving them behind for good, he just, he's finally at peace. And it's just, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I like absolutely. your choices there. Well done. Um, what do you got? I got our man Aragorn on this one. Aragorn, yeah. Vigo Mortensen yeah. is the big winner of this movie. He really is. Uh, as we noted during our Two Towers episode, and as you drew attention to uh, during the Fellowship episode by naming him as the member of the Fellowship you would like to be a part, or, you know, you would have played, his turn as Aragorn throughout this entire series has just been fantastic. Uh, this movie really saw him stretch his legs and really begin to accept the idea that his fate is to be king. So in the first movie, he's running from that fate. You know, you learn he's Strider. He's the um, he is the ranger. He doesn't want anything to do with that life that he is running from. In the second movie, he's starting to understand that fate, and you see it come across at the battle at Helm's Deep, talking with Theoden, convincing Theoden. Uh, you know, reminding Theoden what it is to be a king and to lead your people, even if that even that leads to death and destruction, it's better than turning away and running. In this final, in in his final movie, he's accepted it. He's accepted who he is and what he has to do, and that definitely comes across when Elrond visits him, visits him in the tent and gives him the blade. And he's like, he, he's the king. 
as soon as he took that as soon mm-hmm. as he took that sword he knew exactly what he was destined to do he was the king and it's beautiful to watch him transition into this um you know his and his first act of king is to recruit and free those who were cursed by his bloodline um and then he follows that up with the march on the black gates to serve as a distraction so frodo may complete his journey we we've watched every single one of these characters grow from the very beginning to now and this was just one of the best best growths to uh watch not only was it a great one to watch um but he the actor himself vigo brought something to this character that made you believe that he could very well be aragorn in real life like he was born to play this role absolutely i'm glad that was your pick that was my third pick (laughs) (laughs) i was like ah he'll probably pick him and if not i could just you know we'll talk about it later it'll be fine (laughs) because yeah that's uh he uh he was like it's actually really cool they brought um uh i think it was their last day Vigo mortensen and uh, uh bernard what's the guy's name that plays theoden bernard shaw would, yeah thank you um they uh they brought them in and the stunt crew um who are all uh natives to new zealand um gave them a like ceremonial warrior dance and chant that is meant for kings oh wow that's awesome um and it's this really like emotionally affecting thing to watch uh watch the two actors stand there and have this performed for them and then vigo mortensen like instead of going around just like shaking their hands or giving them a hug just like goes through and starts headbutting them each <laughs> oh my god <laughs> what a headache <laughs> yeah he's like yeah he's like well i just kind of did it the first time and then Obviously, I have to do all of them then. And he's like, I'm just really glad I didn't have to film the next day. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But, like, that's the kind of guy he was. Like, that's, you're absolutely right. Like, he is, he, there, I don't think anyone else could have, could have really brought the, uh, the passion um, that he did, especially that speech oh, in front of the Black That Gate. speech it's is just, just phenomenal. Um, I would like to think that in all the existing parallel universes, the only Aragorn that exists is Viggo Mortensen. Absolutely. He's the yeah. one constant across them all. Yes. <sighs> that finally brings us to top scenes or sequences. Oh, boy. Where do you even begin? The, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I just like... I know we joke, you know, the entire freaking movie. But it's, it's true, though. <laughs> it's, it is the truth. It's just fan... Uh, this is a fantastic movie whether you're whether you're watching the theatrical version or the extended cut no matter which version yes. you're watching you are not getting a bad movie quite yeah. honestly you're getting a fantastic film the extended is better but yes. the theatrical was not bad either so you're getting great stuff from moment 1 to the very end um and it's just what do you choose? Where do you where where do you go? How do you pick from this whole film? And I'm gonna tell you what, I narrowed my list down to five, and I did not <laughs> I did not oh, want to go any lower than five. I wish I could have known that because I would have definitely included more. Uh, I had mine down to two. Oh my goodness. 
like if I had to like because I was like, there's no way I'm picking a single moment from this movie. There's there's zero chance that'll happen. Uh, I take it back. I have three. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, okay. I was just strategically like using like, oh, my favorite quote will be this scene, and then my character will be this scene. Uh, all right. So I I kind of did the same thing because. I'm like, all right, well, I can cover some ground also with the quotes. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. this is going to this is going to be great. So in the end, I'm going to have like, what, 10 scenes that I'm talking about here. Yeah. Um, OK, well, uh, you've narrowed it down to three. I've narrowed it down to five. How would you like to do this? Would you like to list yours first? Do we want to go back and forth? Let's alternate and then you can start and then that'll that'll work out. nice. OK, I will start. So the very first scene worth talking about is the entire opening sequence of this film. Yes. So like the Fellowship of the Ring, we are given a backstory to help fill in some of the blanks. Now, what makes this story fascinating is that we are stepping out of the shoes and minds of the members of the Fellowship. So the first two movies centers around everything having to do with the Fellowship, again, except for, you know, that first opening sequence of the Fellowship of the Rings where we're getting the backstory of Sauron and stuff like that. But now we're already, we're in the third movie, we're in established characters, we're in established minds. We're going to take a step back and we need to understand who Gollum is to understand the true power and point of this whole story. Um, So let's do that. We learn what happened when Smeagol became Gollum. This is a neat little scene to watch because we actually get to see Andy Serkis in the flesh, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, Smeagol before the transformation. He's enjoying some fishing with his cousin when the person, that cousin, was dragged into the water by the fish that they had on the line. And while they were in the water in that terrible CGI sequence, he happens upon the One Ring. He emerges with the ring, and he it immediately draws the attention of our dear little Schmeagel. There's a struggle for the possession of the ring, resulting in Schmeagel killing Deagle. That's the name of the cousin. And he was cast from his community, and the ring of power consumed him, withered him, deformed him. It warped his mind and drove out Schmeagel, leaving only Gollum, which, by the way... Gollum is the name he gave himself because it was the sound he made. It was not just clever Andy Circus work here, which Andy Circus mm-hmm. based that sound off of what he thought a cat sounded like when it was heating up a hairball. Yeah. Gollum actually became Gollum and gave, got the name of Gollum because that's just the sound he made, that throat noise. And so the next part of Gollum's story plays out in The Hobbit, long before we meet him now in the trilogy. And this story is such an intricate piece of the grand puzzle that it lets us know the ramifications of lengthy possession of the ring and the power it holds over beings too simple-minded to understand it. And I'm good. And I I really feel like we need to focus on that whole idea of the simple-minded to understand it. So men, Being complex creatures, there are still simple-minded men out there. We saw it. We saw it with Isildur. We saw it with with, uh, Boromir. And not to call Boromir simple-minded, but he wasn't strong of strong mind and will to resist that power 
that it could have had over it. He he knew he knew what it could possibly do to him for the bad, but he also dreamt of what he could do with it for the good. And that right there was his going to be his downfall. His brother, his younger brother, always considered to be the weakest of the two by their father, Denethor, was way stronger in that urge, in that quest for thirst for power. He knew what he needed to do. He let Frodo leave with that ring. And he got he suffered the ramifications for that later in this movie. Simple-minded. You come across a creature like Gollum, and all he sees is this beautiful ring, and immediately it's calling to him, it's changing him, it's warping his mind, it becomes his precious. And I also would like to think that Bilbo was of a stronger mind and will than even Gollum was, which is why Bilbo never... Never tra- The only transformation Bilbo ever suffered from the use of the ring was prolonged life. But it didn't warp yeah. him. It didn't change his mind. It didn't do anything to him because Bilbo never saw it or answered its call for what it was. It was just a fun little ring for him that he used as a party trick. Yep. He never understood it. And it, that... That made him beyond a simple mind. So that's why I really want to kind of bring hold to this whole idea of the simple mind. Smeagol wasn't able to resist its power, and its power always had a hold on him, and it plays out in the end of this movie. Yeah, and I I think it's a I think it's a good idea that they just from like a script perspective that they put that scene in this film because like you have to bring some sort of pathos to to Smeagol slash Gollum. Like, obviously, they built him up as a bit as a character in the Two Towers, but you know, we still don't really know why he is the way he is. And seeing that he was not so different from a Hobbit, I think they're technically something different in the books. Um, they they're they're of similar kin. Um, yeah, they are they are river dwellers. Um, yes, and. The the their 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 makeup is very similar to uh, that of a hobbit of similar size, um, things like that. But yeah, they are slightly different races. It's kind of like the difference between wood elves and other race of elves and things yes. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they are halflings. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think having this moment where you you see that, like you said, it's like these, just these kind of guys that were just out fishing and this evil thing came in and immediately corrupted. Um, and then you see like how horrific it gets for, uh, they don't really go obviously in the movie. You don't get to see him like crawling around on his grandmother's floor. Um, and people like kicking him around and treating him like a dog. Cause yeah. That's pacing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pacing. <laughs> don't need to see that at the beginning of the movie. But like you, they still get across how horrific the transformation was. Mm-hmm. So not only are you building character for Smeagol to like make it even more um, uh, tragic whenever he makes his final turn, you're also just again cementing how evil the ring is. <laughs> like they're just, they're using every opportune moment in new ways they're not just repeating the same thing over and over again you get to see the different ways in which the ring corrupts like you got to see it with men um for a moment in the fellowship of the rings gandalf like whenever he bows up and like frodo's trying to give him the ring or no it's um 
it's when uh, Bilbo's trying to keep the ring. I apologize. You get to see a bit of Gandalf's darkness come out, and you know he's just kind of sitting there looking at the ring, and then Frodo tries to give it to him, and Gandalf's like, "No, that would be the worst idea. Yeah, <laughs> no way." Um, so we get to see it again just how evil it is. Um, obviously, we get to see that again later is whenever Frodo's yelling at Sam. It's really sad. But. Yes, um, that's. Quite possibly, like it was, that was one of those things where I, I cried when Frodo is just like turning away Sam and just being so mean. Just like, but that's the ring. That's the ring talking. And yeah, I think even Sam to a point knew that too. But you know, it still hurts. It still hurts when somebody you yeah, love and somebody I mean, you have, a, a, you know, a relationship with does something like that to you, whether they're of a, their right mind or not. It sucks. Yeah, it, but you're right. It did. He needed that. It gave that's what essentially is the turning point for him that gives him the strength to turn around, climb back up, fight Sheila. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, yeah, great scene. Fantastic scene. All right, what do you got? My turn. Oh boy, which one do I do first? <laughs> um, <laughs> let me see. I have them here. Uh, all right, I guess we'll do since we already kind of touched on it. Um, it's honestly the scene at the Black Gates. Okay. Um, the you know I don't know how much this overlaps with with your stuff, but like the mouth of Sauron, that whole section there, like you've seen, like you think, okay, I don't know how the conflict could get any bigger than what I've already seen in this movie. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it's just that that last battle is just huge at Minas Tirith. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, and uh, they get to the they get to the Black Gates, and um, whenever Aragorn rides up, and you know he has that is is that what the line whenever he's like, uh, uh, "Let the Lord of this land uh, come forth, yeah. so justice be done upon him." Like you're just like, dude, he's ready to go. He's the king, and he's ready. He's gonna throw down. It's gonna be sweet. Yep. <laughs> you know, like uh, go back to me saying Aragorn is cool. He's a cool boy. Um, and uh, that whole exchange because they, it's not that they suffer a defeat. It's the enemy attacking them in a very different and specific way, where they're lying. And he throws them the the mithril vest and to throw them oh off, thinking God. that you know you. There is literally everything you have done up to this point is for nothing. There is no point. Yeah. Give up. Um, and obviously Aragorn doesn't believe him. Chops off his head. And again, like, and I think this is an example of not a humorous moment, but something that could be considered a joke still working and not taking away from any tension or drama built is when Gimli's says, uh, what is it? He's like, well, I guess so that much concludes negotiations. Negotiations. Yeah. Our negotiations. Like, yo, yeah. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the, the gates, he comes back and Aragorn has his speech. Mm. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's one of those moments where this whole film is just full of moments that I can't like, I'm a mess yeah. watching this movie. Um, a little bit in the two towers at the end, and then throughout pretty much the entire back half of this movie, I'm an emotional mess. Oh, of course. 
the entire time. Of course. Because that speech he gives, I was actually watching it again today at work because the guy I work with is also a big Lord of the Rings fan. Nice. And I was like, dude, let's just, let's just watch the speech again right now. It's so good. <laughs> We're both just like, oh, chills. This is just so freaking pumped. Um, and like you said, it's like he is the king now. He is fully embodying it. He, I think in that moment, he believes that they're all going to die. But he's going to die with a cause, for a cause that he believes in. For a cause. With all of his being. He believes Frodo's alive. He doesn't want to accept the fact because he doesn't want to think that everything happened for nothing. And even if he is dead, like he talks, it's like, it's not going to be. There may come a day when the strength of men fail. This is not. It's not today. Not today. It is not this day. It's like. You're right. You can't see it. I'm punching my table. You're right. I'm so pumped right now just thinking about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that that entire like because it, it tops itself. The movie tops itself there where you're like, I don't understand how much bigger it could get. And then they, they just get surrounded. It's And it's unfathomable the amount of orcs and goblins that are there and you're preparing for this whole epic thing to play out and it's it's emotional you you said it already it's absolutely emotional and he he has that moment where he turns around and he says for Frodo Frodo. because that's what this has all been for yep and it's Again, it kind of, you know, I, there might be this theme that uh, runs across my favorite scenes that it, it it feeds back into what I talked about with the first one. It's that having friends and people with you that are going to be constructive and supportive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and like in this, like, I mean, because the next week, like he runs out, the next ones to run out are Mary and Pippin. Yeah, because I mean, that, that, to run out behind him. That's their cousin. That's their friend. You know, Th- that's their family. Everything. But like you think, yeah, like you, yeah, exactly. That's their fan, their family. Like it doesn't matter what they're faced get, what they're facing in that moment. They, they have to be the next ones that run out. Now, obviously, they're short legs. So everyone overtakes them, but you know, mm-hmm. it's the thought that counts. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my. Nice. It's uh, my first. Scene. That's your first scene. Uh, I I love that you brought this up because this was actually listed as my fourth scene. Um, ah, I, I get in no particular order. I, I love this whole thing. I actually watched the scene three different times today because that's how much I love it. You know, we get our first glimpse of the black tower, ta- black tower, the black gate during uh, two towers when Frodo and Sam were attempting yeah. to enter Mordor. Mordor and uh, Gollum ended up taking them on a different path, but the black gate still serves its purpose and here we are at the extended edition of this film and we get to see you know that evil i mean just straight out evil exchange between aragorn and the black lieutenant of mordor i mean you know it, it it's just downright nasty the lack of compassion for life and it also displays that misguided confidence that sauron you know, operates on, you know, like he thinks he's, he thinks he's the top guy here. He's always got the upper hand, you know, little does Sara know that at this very moment, his doom is literally walking towards Mount doom. Um, and it's one thing to try and provoke a response by claiming Frodo's death, but to taunt 
the king even further, you know, after throwing that uh, shirt of mithril and then being like, who's this Isildur's heir? It takes more than an elven blade. You're like, shut the frick up, you know? <laughs> you asked for what was coming for you. And that the scene gives me chills every single time. Um, and of course, I also enjoyed the fiery destruction of Sauron's fortress and the Black Gate at the yeah. end. Um, I actually got a little blurb here about the Black Gate, if you would like to indulge Ooh. me. Yes. Um, so the Black Gate was the site of the last... I, I get all this from uh, Lord of the Rings uh, websites, guys. Um, so I, this is not me talking right now. I'm literally reading from a website. Uh, the Black Gate was the site of the last valiant battle of the War of the Ring. In the East, in March of 3019, the Army of the West commanded by Aragorn and numbering some 6,000 men, plus one elf, one dwarf, one wizard, and in the movie, two hobbits, even though in the book only one hobbit went, arrived at the Black Gate and challenged the many remaining armies of Mordor. Their intention was to draw the watchful eye of Sauron away from Mount Doom to allow Frodo to cast that one ring into the fires of Mount Doom to destroy it. The delay worked and the ring was destroyed in the fires following it was destroyed in the fires, and then what followed was the destruction of the Black Gate and the towers. Um, while all of Sauron's uh, power came tumbling down. But there's a one little thing I wanted to bring up about this Black Gate from that little blurb. The two towers on either side of the Black Gate, they were called the Towers of the Teeth. Hmm. Just a fun little thing there. Yeah. Yes. So, good scene. I like your choice there. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, Does that bring me up to my turn here? Yes. Now your turn. Oh, Lord. Okay. All I have to say is this. <laughs> grand. 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 Oh. Grand. I have always loved how visually stunning this whole scene was. It's a great visual for the idea that the forces of Mordor will not let anything stand in their way for what they believe in. The quote-unquote normal battering ram that they tried to use on the main gates of Minas Tirith didn't work. But don't worry, they have an answer for that. Bring out the wolf's head, and then boom, they're in. It's a striking blow to Gondor and the already dwindling morale within the city. The breach of the city gives belief that this battle is lost and the defenses within the city are so minor compared to its main gates that doom effectively awaits all thanks to this one little itty bitty thing called Grand. And I say itty bitty in the most sarcastic terms <laughs> that I could possibly come up with here. So Grand is, a f is this huge battering ram. It's got fire spewing out from its carved jaws, and the great beasts pulling it are four of these huge rhinoceros-like creatures uh, who in the book are only referred to as great beasts. The ram's mm -hmm. wolf design is uh, extended with the whole battering ram carved to resemble this great wolf. So you even got the feet in the little front, too, with the claws and everything like that. Yeah. Gothmog, the leader of the orcs attacking Minas Tirith, refers to it both as Grand and the wolf's head during the film. 
and he summons it after the failed attempt to breach Minas Tirith with a standard battering ram. So as the host of Mordor and its allies watched its approaching Minas Tirith, they could be he- they could hear everybody chanting the name Grand, 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 and it only took four strikes on that door before finally breaking through. And it's such a it, I, it's it's a fantastic scene. And if you um, it's been a while since I've actually watched the discs version of this movie. If memory serves, this actually served as the middle part where you had to switch the disc when they bring yes. out Grand. Yes, when they bring that up, that is when you do a disc break, and it is like, oh, it's the perfect yeah, little quickly. Can I please get this? I gotta switch it now. <laughs> so yeah, uh, everything about Grand is fun yeah. to me. Visually striking, visual, uh, very visually fun uh, part of the movie to watch. That's my scene. My second Good. scene. Okay. All right. I guess it's my turn. Yeah. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's your turn. My second scene is uh, actually the um, the sacrifice of Faramir. Whenever mm. um, it's it, when it's intercutting between, because um, obviously Denethor is crazy. We talked about this already in the last episode, where um, he's got this real issue of essentially wishing Faramir didn't exist. Like, dude can't do anything right. Yeah. Um, and especially once he found out that uh, Boromir was dead. Um, when Gandalf and Pippin show up, they, they he's they find out that he's already known this, and it's like, oh, great. <laughs> Denethor's gone great. crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, because like the entire time uh, when they're leading up to walking in for the first time, Gandalf's like, Pippin, just don't talk. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, just please leave the talking. Full to of a I think he says, I think he, yeah, well, I think he even says, he's like, in fact, it's better if you don't speak at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> at one point before walking in and then that happens and Gandalf's like ah. and then Pippin actually steps up and um, and then for some reason swears his life to Denethor as a servant yeah what an idiot um, what an idiot yeah yeah you never know what he's I mean, doing back there I kind of understand what he's doing because I kind of get where he's coming from because he feels a debt to Boromir yeah, um, because to him, Bormir didn't fall. They never, they never witnessed that. To to Pippin and Mary, he's the guy that saved their lives and died doing it. Um, but uh, so anyway, he's Denethor's servant, and um, after Denethor sends Faramir knowingly to his death, uh, to take back Osgiliath. This is actually before the Storming of Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. A little bit jumping in the timeline. <laughs> um, the uh after that he then proceeds to have this really uh you know opulent dinner uh the food looks very tasty on I will oh say. yeah i mean what a smorgasbord there yeah it's delicious looking movie food and then he has pippin <laughs> uh he has pippin um sing him a song and it is the most it's so beautiful like that dude can sing First of all, like he, they brought him back to sing a song for uh, the final Hobbit movie, and it actually is a really great song. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he sings. Uh, is it, what's the actual name of the song? I don't. I have always just called it "Home Is Behind." I don't um, remember the name of the song. Uh, maybe "Edge of Night." I'm I'm not exactly sure what the official title is, but it's this gorgeous. Again, we talked about. Uh, it kind of does what we talked about. Um, 
happens near the end of the Minds of Moria sequence where it's it's mostly music and very little actual audio coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, where uh, he's it's intercutting with him singing about, you know, we've left our home behind and it's just it's getting you know, darkness is encroaching at this point and we don't know what's gonna be coming up uh ahead of us. Um that there's mist and shadows. And the entire time we're treated to this beautiful cinematography of Faramir leading the charge across the plains back to Osgiliath and the orcs obviously ready they they have the advantage so they have their arrows all knocked back and let loose as just as the song ends and it's you also get gandalf riding out and it's my favorite shot in the film actually whenever gandalf comes out and he he shines his light and he scares off the nazgul riding uh on his dragon or whatever it is the wyvern i don't know exactly what it's called um and so, and then the camera kind of pans back, and you just kind of see Minas Tirith sitting in the background. And it's like, not like there's not like any kind of spectacle to it. It's just this incredibly gorgeous shot of them riding and it's handheld. And it's the most real these movies feel to me in that moment where it's like, yeah, that's just a place that exists. These are people here that they just happen to film. They happen to have cameras rolling right now as this event took place. Um, and again, emotionally, incredibly emotionally affecting because it's like this character is doing everything he can to prove himself to his father to the point where he's willing to sacrifice himself. It's insanity. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, but, it's uh, an absolutely beautiful song that Pippin sings. Uh, yeah. The words are home is behind, the world ahead, and there are many paths to tread. I'm not going to sing it, I promise. Uh oh. through shadow to the end of, to the edge of night until the stars are all alight. Mist and shadow, cloud and shade, all shall fade. All shall fade. And it's very sad. Mm. But beautiful. Yeah, the way he sings it is absolutely beautiful. That's why I'm not going to sing it. I'm not even going to try to outdo him. <laughs> uh, I'm not as good as Pippin. Just saying. That's a wonderful scene. <sighs> yeah, that's my scene. That that's that's my scene. Yeah. Awesome. Well, for my third offering to the listeners out there, I would like to say that the beacons of Minas Tirith, the beacons are lit. Mm. Gondor calls yeah. for aid. This is one of those tearjerker scenes, honestly. Like, you're so happy that it's happening. And then, you know, it starts with uh, Gandalf sneaking Mary up there to uh, light the first beacon. And then you just see all the other beacons light in succession till finally they reach the lands of Rohan. Aragorn rushes in to tell Theoden, and Theoden answers the call by calling his already, excuse me, already battle-worn warriors to task. Mm. It's tearjerker in the fact that earlier in the story, Theoden was not willing to go to the aid of Gondor. You know, he even says, like, you know, where was Gondor when Rohan needed them? And then Mm. he's there. He stands for the challenge of all that's right. And this is where that. So, you know, earlier in the story, when I when he was questioning why Gondor wasn't there when Rohan needed them, that was kind of like the older Theoden 
uh, back before his big transformation in Helm's Deep. And then when the beacons of Gondor are lit, the beacons of Minas Tirith are lit, the Helm's Deep Theoden comes back and he's just like, and Rohan will answer. He stands ready to yeah, lead yeah. his country to glorious victory or glorious death. And that is absolutely amazing. And you got to love the music during this whole sequence, too. The music it's, is so I mean, fun. I was going to say, that's where Howard Shore is really just letting loose. Because that's it's these gorgeous panoramic mm-hmm. shots with this incredible score bum, over top of it. Bum, and you're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, well done. Very triumphant. Triumphant indeed. Um, did you have anything else? I did. I have one more. Go. All right. Um, and it's, it's very short. It's, it's, we already kind of touched on it too. Um, it's whenever Sam and Frodo are trying to make their way up the side of Mount doom. Um, and Sam's like soliloquizing about like these, the beauty of Hobbiton and the Shire. And then Frodo says, no, Sam, I can't recall the, uh, I can't recall the taste of food nor the sound of water or the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark and there's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. And so, you know, he's just losing it at this point. Like Mm -hmm. Elijah was just selling it right now. He's, he's breaking apart on screen. And then Sam has this, like, again, it's like these incredible moments of like, friendship really beating it out all in the end and uh and then sam says then let us be rid of it once and for all come on mr frodo i can't carry it for you but i can carry you and he picks him up and just straight up carries him starts carrying him up the mountain and every single time i just break down (laughs) i can't help it it's incredible. You're just like, because whenever Frodo responds, I can't remember. It's this real downer of a moment where you're like, oh, there's nothing left in him. Yeah. Um, he says, no, Sam, it, I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark with no, nothing, yeah. no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. It's just gut wrenching. And then they pull you right back up with Sam. Sam's right there to just pick everybody up in that moment. And you're just like, Sam is the true Sam hero. Sam is the, of the real hero. Trilogy. It's true, though. It's very true. But yeah, that's that's my third and final. See, I, just, oh. I fought with myself on that one so hard because I wanted to include that in my scenes. But it was such a beautiful line that I ended up throwing it in my quotable line. So now we don't have to discuss it later. Ah. Yay. <laughs> um, I've got one more for scenes and then we can move. Okay. On. So this got? one is specifically, again, an extended edition scene. And it is the fall of Saruman. I love this. Uh, it's mm. it's beautiful uh, the way they did it. So um, Without it, the fate of Saruman can only be assumed after the Ents took control of Isengard uh, at the end of Two Towers. But now, with this scene, we get definitive closure. Through Saruman... Through Saruman? Boy, that rum's starting to kick in. Though Saruman does not meet his end as he does in the book, it's still a very good end. Uh, very Star Wars-esque, if actually you ask me on this one. So like Vader throws Palpatine over the rails 
to fall to his doom, Wormtongue comes and takes his master, well, not takes his master, stabs his master in the back, which eventually causes him to fall off the top of the tower to his depth. Um, both Vader and Wormtongue die as well through, uh, because of these processes that happened, though it's more clear that Anakin had repented his transgressions. It's not 100% clear if Wormtongue really did repent his. You know, you could see him kind of like leaning yeah. toward you, like when uh, King Theoden was calling up to him. It's like, you you were once a man of Rohan and stuff like that. You know, you could kind of see him playing to that other side that Wormtongue was before he fell under Saruman's control. But it's still not 100% clear if he truly repented for his transgressions like uh, Anakin did for his in Star Wars. Um, yeah. And I, w and I had made mention in the Fellowship episode in relationship to this one as a nitpick. You know, Saruman and Wormtongue's deaths were supposed to happen during the scourging of the Shire. Uh, but Peter Jackson felt that the chapter was a little anticlimactic in the book, so he moved the idea back to Isengard, but still ultimately cut it from the theatrical release out of fear for time. And he also wanted to distance this movie as much as he possibly could from the Two Towers. Because this movie is essentially just a summary of everything that, or not this movie, this scene is essentially a summary of everything that happened in the two towers. Yeah. And he he he's like, this is a whole separate movie. Let's not walk in and immediately be met with a summary of what happened in the last movie. Uh, but thanks to the extended editions, we got this wonderful scene. And we got closure. I almost... I part of me almost thinks it would have like I don't know, maybe pacing wise it wouldn't work. Um, but there, I'm sure there had been a way to do this as the ending of the two towers. Yeah, they probably like, they possibly they already could have. go to Isengard. Uh, they already go to Isengard to see what Mary and Pippin are doing. Um, and I never honestly really thought of it like, yeah, you don't. Like this is this just kind of feels like a part of the two towers. I, but you know, thinking back on the two towers now, I felt like it ended on the right note. It it ended it on the yeah. right note. Needs to be up exactly. Note. Like they mm -hmm. just won the battle of Helmsteep. Let's not bring it down. It's true. That's so true. It, it ended up working beautifully, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and that I think that concludes uh, scenes or sequences here. Yeah, awesome. All right, so that brings us to quotable lines, guys. Quotable lines. Uh, again, the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. No, um, I, I, I was able to keep it down to three on this one. Uh, we've already talked about one of them, so you know now we've uh, taken care of that. Uh, if you don't mind, I would like to go ahead and share my first one. Go for awesome. it. Awesome. Uh, the first one I would like to offer up is this beautiful little exchange between Gandalf and Pippin while they're standing on the balcony mm. in Minas Tirith staring out at Mordor. You know, Pippin says, I didn't think it would end this way. Gandalf's like, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we must all take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What, Gandalf? See what? White shores. And beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Well, that isn't so bad. No. No, it isn't. Not quite a quotable line. That's a lot of lines, and I don't sit around quoting all of them. But I think about that very first, those very first 
uh, few lines right there. I didn't think it would end this way. And no, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path. I mean, this is a very uh, similar uh, uh, thought process that happens in a lot of movies and a lot of stories. So just like the conversation between Gandalf and Frodo during the Fellowship, mm -hmm. uh, this is a desire for her things to be not as they are. And again, Gandalf is painting the picture that where there appears to be doom, there is light. There is meaning. There is purpose. Everything happens for a reason. And if death is the next step, the journey doesn't end. I mean, Gandalf knows this. I mean, look back at him. He technically <laughs> yeah. died and he came back because the journey wasn't over. But even if he had left his physical form behind the spirit of Gandalf would have lived on forever the journey death is but the next great adventure and then other story the other pop culture story that I can think of with something like this I think of stories like Harry Potter you know you have Voldemort and you have Harry yeah you have even Dumbledore so you have Voldemort constantly running from the idea of death but you have people like Dumbledore and Harry who embrace death they they know what it is. It's the next logical step where Dumbledore, when he asked Snape, spoilers alert, spoilers, <laughs> uh, to uh, when he asked Snape to kill him, we he knew that wasn't going to be the end of Dumbledore. Dumbledore's part in this story was not ending. Harry, when he accepted the fact that he had to die there in the Forbidden Forest, he knew that it was the next logical step and he was ready to embrace it. And I think that's the difference with these ideas of death. Voldemort did not want to accept death. He did. He wanted immortality. He didn't want to be constrained by life. He thought death was the end. Uh, Sauron could say the same thing. You know, death is the yeah. end. If you accept it for what it is, there's no reason to fear it. It's just the next logical path in a cycle. I hate to say life cycle because that sounds so contradictory, but it's the next logical path of the cycle. Yeah. And I love the way Gandalf paints that. He's like, you know, there's more beyond what you see here in the mortal world. There's another life waiting for you in the great beyond. And I think that's just a beautiful thought. Whether you want to relate that to religion or not, it's just a very comforting thought that when you close your eyes for good here on earth, there's something waiting for you when you reopen your eyes. Yeah. And I mean, it's so eloquently put in the film too. Like they gave Gandalf has so many good lines in this movie and like that whole it's even just as you're reading it, I'm like kind of like trying not to choke up. I'm like, Oh man, it's so good. It's it's one of those scenes that gives you chills and it just makes you, it, it, it gives you an appreciation for life. It really does. Mm -hmm. It's like there, it doesn't make life feel insignificant. Like we're, we're not just walking around this earth because there's more to it. This is just one, one small step in our cycle. There's more to yeah. it in the end. And there's an eternity waiting for you somewhere else. Uh, call it um, a lot of religions believe in reincarnation. You end one life, you start another. Uh, a lot of uh, 
a lot of people believe in the great beyond, whether you want to call it heaven or whether you want to call it uh, returning to the cosmos. I don't, I don't care what you want to call it. As a human being, there's got to be more than just walking around this earth and then that's it. Yeah. So I think that's why I love that line or the series of lines. Agreed. What you got? All right. Mine is very simple. Also, again, I'll quote them. Um, yeah. And this is in the Grey Havens. Okay. Um, this is as he's getting ready, to, uh, getting ready to depart. And he's talking to the hobbits one last time. And he says, I will not say, do not weep, for not all tears are in evil. Mm. Which is actually taken st- directly from the book. Um, and it's like it. Again, talking about how this movie earns its happy ending, like there's very few things in life that make me cry because of how happy they are. And I feel like the ending to this movie is one of them. Um, And like, because Gandalf talks, it's like, it's, you know, losing somebody, you know, like I'm leaving. And I think he's also referring to the fact that Frodo's getting ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Like he knows that they don't know that yet. Um, you know, like you said, that death is just a step to to whatever's next. Um, so, but grieving is a thing, and you have to do it, and it's not bad to do it. Um, letting out this emotion, feeling pain, isn't necessarily an evil right now. Um, but yeah, and I mean that whole entire sequence. It's funny because uh, in the behind the scenes, they talk about how the first time they filmed it, um, they filmed the entire scene, thought they had it locked down, um, and all of the footage was blurry. It wasn't in focus, oh, no. <laughs> so they had to, yeah. So they had to. Um, uh, wait, no, I apologize. It was uh, they started film. They filmed some of it, and then. They went to lunch and then came back. But in the intervening time, Sean Astin didn't put his vest back on. Oh, so they didn't have the continuity. So the remaining footage was inconsistent. Yeah, it was very inconsistent. So they had to shoot it again. And then that second time, it was out of focus. (laughs) So they had to shoot it a third time to get it right and the actors are talking like the four hobbits or the actors are all talking about like like trying to get that emotional for that amount of time for filming is like physically painful (laughs) um because you know you think about when you have a good cry you like usually have a headache uh your eyes hurt like it's just it's not a pleasant (laughs) experience so they're having to do that all day three different times (laughs) um which is really a bummer to think about. But yeah, that that line though specifically that Gandalf says just kind of is like is also kind of just talking to the audience at that point. Like it's it's okay. This is goodbye. Yeah. And that that's going to suck, but it has to happen. And that's you know I hate like I hate it when like movies just kind of keep going and TV shows just kind of keep going. It's like end. It sucks that something has to end, but let it okay, end. Okay, well, isn't that the big joke of Return of the King? You always think it's about to end, and then it keeps going? I, I felt that one time, <laughs> and it's whenever I like whenever it fades out and they're laying on the side of the of Mount Doom, and I'm like, please, God, don't let that be the end of the movie. 
Like there needs to be more. But the whole thing where like I kept thinking it was going to end. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. Like, I never really felt that way. Like, I think the movie just slows down and it needs to just kind of fake because technically they are endings. You're ending character arcs mm-hmm. like you get you get the Aragorn and Arwen like that. They're done. That story is now over. So, yes, that is it. That is an ending. That's over. They get back to Hobbiton and they get settled in. That is an ending. That's over. Um, so I think that I think it makes sense for it to be edited that way. Okay. Yeah. That's just me. No, though. I just remember that being like the joke. Like, oh, okay. You know, I do remember no, that you know. being a thing, though. Here's yeah. the end of the movie. Oh, just kidding. Here's the end of the movie. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Here's the end of the movie. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that a lot. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, I've only got one more. Um, I mentioned this in Two Towers. It's uh, okay. involving Eowyn. And it's her line of, I am no man. Yep. So immediately you're just thinking, God, this is such a cheesy line. No. It is way (laughs) more in depth. It is not a cheesy line placed in the film for dramatic effect. It's actually rewritten from its original text. So it sounds kind of cheesy. So I went and I wrote down the original text. And this is how it played Mm -hmm. out in the book. So this is Eowyn and the Witch King. Be gone, foul. D- I can't even say this word. Uh, <laughs> Dwimmer Lake? Dwimmer like? Sure. Uh, hold on. Let me zoom in a little bit more here. Be gone, foul Dwimmer Lake, Lord of Carrion. Leave the dead in peace. Nazgul replies, or the Witch King replies, Come not between the Nazgul and his prey, or he will not slay thee in thy turn. He will bear thee away to the houses of lamentation beyond all darkness, where thy flesh shall be devoured and thy shriveled mind be left naked to the lidless eye. Yeah. Whew. This is a, this is a lot here. Eowyn says, Do what you will, but I will hinder it, if I may. Hinder me, thou fool, no living man may hinder me. But no living man am I. You look upon a woman, Eowyn I am. Eowyn's daughter, you stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone, if you be not deathless. For living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. I think the movie did a very great job summarizing it into I am no man. Yeah, the <laughs> that yes, that speech works in print. It works beautifully uh, in print, but could you imagine reading this going like in a movie? Would, oh, it'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. <laughs> I would be like, what the hell are we watching? Did Shakespeare write this? What is this? I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I could use like they have a they adapt a bit of like they spread that they kind of spread her speech out across the dialogue before that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, because he's like, you know, do not, you know, do not uh, come between a Nazgul and its prey. I kind of wish he kept the line where he's like, I will uh, tear you apart to the houses of lamentation, leave your mind naked. To, I was like, dude, that's so metal. It's, it's, it's so dope. <laughs> kind of wish he would have said that. But uh, no, yes, it's just for film, 
for dramatic effect. It needs to just be I am no man. And it's beautiful. So we've talked about this from the very beginning. It, It is no man that can take down the Witch King. So Eowyn slew this beast with a single stroke of her sword, severing its neck. So the Wraith King, the Witch King arises and giving a cry of hatred he shattered her shield and broke her left arm with a single blow of his mace but as he towered over her preparing to deliver the final blow mary in all his glory stabs his sword into the back of his knee and this is a enchanted sword one of the weapons that was given to him and is one of the few weapons that can penetrate the Witch King's defenses, breaking the spell, binding his undead flesh to his will. So mm-hmm. Eowyn drove her sword at that moment to where the head of the Wraith would have been, slaying him for good. And we get one of the most satisfying death scenes in the entire trilogy. Oh, and it looks incredible. Fantastic. Fantastic. She did a pretty good job slamming that uh, blade in there for having a broken arm, if I can just say so myself. Hey, you know, adrenaline. Yeah, they say all that stuff. They say adrenaline uh, can do some amazing things. You know, in real life, people have lifted cars off of other people and stuff like that when that adrenaline flows. So good for her. Good for Eowyn. She had uh, she had a good run in this and soon to be a leader of Rohan. Exactly. You know, you got to sometimes you just got to stab a witch king in the face. Hey, just a typical just another Thursday, folks. Just another got to do it. Uh, That's all I had for lines. Yeah. All right. That brings us to plot holes, movie mistakes and nitpicks. So as we've said in the last two episodes, there are several little continuity issues throughout these films. They're very well documented if you really want to go looking for them. Um, I've got one nitpick. Okay, And it has to do with my favorite scene. One of my favorite scenes. Okay. It has to do with um, that very opening sequence with uh, seeing Smeagol before his turn to Gollum. I have one question. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I really having a hard time with the fact that Smeagol's voice never changes. Yeah. I You know, Deagle has this more realistic sounds sound like yeah sounds like a dude but you're telling I, I always thought to me uh Gollum's voice was an effect of his transformation and then you get this mm-hmm. scene and he's speaking in the same damn voice and I'm like uh, yeah. I don't know about this and I think it's he unbelievable might even I think he might even refer to himself in the third person yeah he does he's he's already kind of talking in a weird way which i don't remember if that's a thing in the book um but yeah you're right like it's weird that he just already is kind of talking like we already have seen i think maybe they do that so that it's i don't know because we're gonna get ready to see him transform so yeah there's really no reason to just not have andy circus talk yeah why why couldn't he just speak in his normal voice deagle's Speaking in a normal voice, everybody else speaks in a normal voice. Uh, I literally thought that was just an effect of his transformation. And then this scene mm-hmm. comes along and you're just like, what? And then that's not, and then that's the one thing that doesn't change during his transformation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure his vocal cords would be affected in some way. Yeah, so I don't know. That's my one nitpick about this whole movie. That's a good point, actually. That's a little bit of a good point. Um, the, uh, 
Yeah, my nitpick is actually it's it's a weird editing. Um, so it's it's just before they ride out to the uh, to the Black Gate, and they um, it's a consequence of them cutting out the scene of Aragorn suiting up. I'm very sad that they cut that of him suiting up into his like more kingly armor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the scene where he he's holding the Palantir, and then he he shows Sauron the blade, and then like he like there's this weird editing that happens where like he drops it because of a vision. And then it's like, he sees himself dropping the, uh, the Elven star, uh, in like weird slow motion. And then it just cuts to them riding towards the black gate. Hmm. And I'm like, every time I watch it, I'm like, what is this? What is happening here? What is this editing? What am I supposed to be getting out of this? Um, yeah, it's just a, it's not necessarily a nitpick. It's more just like a question. Like it's just a very confusing editing choice right there. Which I I I don't think these movies are perfect in any way. Like there's obviously issues that we've we pointed out issues with each movie. Um, I think that's just a consequence of the undertaking of trying to get this much film done in in the amount of time that they were doing it. That stuff's just gonna slip through the cracks. I think. Yeah, no, I mean that may that makes sense. I mean, these are this is a lot of footage and stuff to get through. So yeah, yes. something like that <clears throat> very easily can slip through the cracks. I, but still, I mean this <laughs> this movie won an Oscar for best editing. Yeah. So uh, yeah, exactly, and it's easy got some to overlook. weird editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think it's worse in the extended version. It, it might not be present in the theatrical. Mm. Um, I don't think they have that scene where he holds the Palantir and shows him the sword. I could be no, wrong. No, he does. About that. It, it, that is in the extended is that in the version. Theatrical? Yes. Oh, I, I know it's in the extended. I don't remember if it's, it's um, been so long since I've seen the theatrical version. It, exactly. I don't know. I I just feel like I do, it might have just been you know being in the moment. I didn't think about it. I just don't remember being so confused by that the first time I saw it. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to pay attention. Um, God, I don't have access to this. Oh, well, yeah, I do have access to the theatrical version. Okay, it's on HBO Max, so I'll have to go and try to figure yeah. out if, if that's in the theatrical version or not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But that's all That's all I got for nitpicks, though. Awesome. Uh, again, I know the answer to this question. Is there anything you would have changed? Ah. Uh... I would have uh, put the scene in of uh, Aragorn suiting up. <laughs> I would have put that in. Like, I understand. I, I think they might have cut it because it's kind of just a repeat of the Theoden scene in the yeah, last movie. Yeah, soon enough, yeah. Um, but it was cool because they used the guys that, like, the two guys that were doing it for him in the film, they actually were using the two uh, people on set that would help him get into his costumes. Mm. Um, so there was, like, a nice little... It's just like a nice cameo. And like, I think we just kind of, I would have preferred. It's so jarring to see him go from grody ranger to put together King. Like there's, he looks so different in in the black gate scene with like, they have his hair done differently. Um, like he's, it looks like he actually finally took a bath at some point. Yeah. 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 His hair looks pretty, uh, you know, pretty <laughs> awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
You just I, they, obviously they just make him look more like a king. He's a little more dignified looking. Yeah. Um, I just I would have liked to have had that scene um, okay. of him suiting up. That's the only thing I would change, though. Okay, fair enough. Um, I have nothing I would change about this film. Not a damn yeah. thing. It's pretty darn good. Pretty darn good, indeed. <laughs> so that brings us. It's to, the last. Yeah, I mean, however many hours of podcasts haven't convinced you that we think that. Yeah, yeah. So we secretly believe that these are horrible movies, and we've just been misleading you yeah, yeah, yeah. all this time, you know, guys. You know, don't don't watch these movies. We actually love the Hobbit movies. Um, no, I can't. I can't. I can't take the joke that far. I can't. Uh, what would you write? joke about a lot of dark things, uh, but not that. A lot of dark things. Um, rating though. Rating this movie. Um, what would you rate this movie on a scale of one to ten? I mean, since we're at the this is the climax. I mean, it's ten out of ten. Like it's it sticks the landing mm. that has been set up for like five hours, six hours of a movie. Uh, it it's it nails it in every way possible. Agree. Uh, I I can't disagree with that with 100%. I give this movie a 10. It's my favorite of the trilogy. Um, Beginning to end, there's nothing about this movie that makes me want to turn it off. Nothing that makes me upset or bored. All I, you know, and again, all I watch are the extended editions of these movies. And this movie Mm -hmm. has an extended runtime of over four hours. And I never once get concerned about the fact that I'm about to sit down and watch a four hour movie. You know, it's. It's so beautifully done, and it doesn't feel like you're watching a four-hour movie. It's kind of like the extended edition of The Hateful Eight on Netflix. Um, it's yes. one of my favorite yeah. Quentin Tarantino films, and so good. I loved the the theatrical version, and then when they released the extended edition on Netflix, I'm like, oh, what more could they possibly put in this movie to make it amazing? They found a way to make it even more amazing, and it's four hour, almost four mm-hmm. hours worth of footage to watch. But it doesn't feel like it. You just get so lost in it, and it's wonderful. And that's how I feel about this movie. Agreed. Yeah, I'm glad you like the Hateful Eight. I don't meet very many yes, people. I that love like the Hateful Eight. I I don't know if there's a Tarantino movie. I love uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, well, that's where we're gonna <laughs> have to disagree. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I cannot. I cannot get behind that, like movie. that movie. I like it a lot. I I think it's lost on me because I, it's a love story to a time period that means nothing to me. Yeah, I mean that's it's yeah it's it's very much so that and I don't know. There's something about Leonardo DiCaprio being a washed up actor. I just like this. I, I I I love this so much. I, I do have to say that some of Leonardo DiCaprio's best performances have come from Quentin Tarantino films. Like I love him in Django Unchained. Give him all the awards all for right. his role in Django Unchained. And there's the one scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he's with that little girl and they're shooting that yes. western and. Oh my God. I mean, just like fantastic scene. But then there's other things about the movie that like, I like, I don't understand why people love this movie so much. Like Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt is awful in this movie. Dude, I want to hang out with his. Yeah. I want to hang out with his character every day. See, I I don't get it. I'm in Hollywood. I don't get it. I love him so much in that movie. It's, it baffles me to my very core. Um, the only reason I like that movie is 
I will fast forward to the very end of the movie because <laughs> the very end is the like that's where Quentin Tarantino comes in. You know, yeah, aside from the dialogue, well, I mean that's yeah, where the sure. Tarantino violence comes in, and it's amazing. I do like Margot Robbie though as um, Sharon yeah, Tate, great. and what I Sharon loved Tate. what they did is they didn't try to replace Sharon Tate in the film either. No. Yeah, they were very respectful. Of they that. were super respectful of it. So you got to see Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate, but then you got to see Sharon Tate too. And it was wonderful. It was very beautifully yeah. done. So I will give him props to that. But other than that, I can't, I cannot, I cannot get behind this movie. No, and I mean, you said it. I think that's why a lot of people don't like it. Is it's a love letter to LA and Hollywood and in a time that it's just like it's no more and i think that's why he made it is like i need to preserve yeah no what it, what it was i give him props for it and you know he's always been a big western fan you you see that most of his movies are are basically westerns uh aside yes. from his actual western movies uh like django mm -hmm. unchained and the hateful eight they're all westerns so you know you know he loves this whole nostalgia thing and you, you know he loves that era of filmmaking, the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. You see that come across in all his films. It's just, I'd much rather see it paid homage to than an entire film about it. That's just me, I guess. But sure. what can I say? Understandable. Um, any final thoughts uh, before we conclude this episode? Uh, watch the Lord of the Rings. Even if you've seen them already, watch them again. Yes. Um, I don't need an excuse to watch them again. I loved having these podcasts as an excuse to watch. Them oh again yeah, and then get to talk about them because although there's, you know, although can I be honest? Now that these are coming to a close, it'll actually be nice not to be thinking about Lord of the Rings every <laughs> single day. Like literally, uh, uh, you. But I, I think about it every day. Anyway, well, I so mean, like for for the most part, I can sit there and I can think about it, you know, once or twice in a day and be perfectly happy. But I've spent the last several weeks, like every day. Well, yeah, you're planning the shows. I just show up and talk. Yeah. So I mean, like, so as I've been planning this, as I've been thinking about all this, I mean, this is literally stuff that plays in my mind every single day. What I want to talk about. I've got the movies in my mind. I've got the music constantly playing in my head um it's just, i i'm ready i'm ready for that break i mean i yeah. love these well, movies the so much but i just i need something else to fill my mind that's and you've got that coming i've got it coming thank goodness <laughs> and then i'll be like okay now i'm ready to revisit it again uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i did have one thing that i wanted to mention mm -hmm. for my final thought and uh i had texted you yesterday i said be prepared for me to sing but i'm not going to do it i promise oh uh, i know though i sorry to my listeners out there you don't get to hear me sing this time uh, i do want to take one brief moment to talk about uh the song that won the Oscar for this movie into the West. Uh, Annie Lennox um, sang the song. She helped uh, write it with uh, Howard Shore and somebody else. I can't think of the name of this person uh, right now. It is such a beautiful, beautiful song. I love uh, the end credits of this film because not only are they, they crediting everybody who was in this film, they're crediting the entire trilogy in the end credits yes. of this film. And you've got this beautiful song playing in the background. Um, 
Annie Lennox, uh, Annie Lennox is just one of those prolific singers. She's been around for so long. Um, and she did a beautiful job bringing this to light. And, uh, one of my favorite, uh, I'm just going to read a little snippet of the lyrics here again, not going to sing it. Um, what can you see on the horizon? Why do the white gulls call across the sea? A pale moon rises the ships have come to carry you home. Those are my favorite lines of the entire song. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely beautiful. And I feel like that just summarizes this entire story. You know, what do you see on the horizon? And then, you know, that's the beginning of our story. You know, you, you're you looking ahead to what lies ahead. Just put one foot in front of the other. And then the ships have come to carry you home. The end of our story that takes uh, Galadriel, Gandalf, Bilbo, Frodo, they've they're carried off in these ships, and then you just you're left with Sam going home mm-hmm. to his wife and his children. And a book that he there's a little bit more room to fill with his own. And that's how our entire story comes to a close. That's a wrap. Beautiful. That's a wrap, guys. My God, we finally did it. We've talked about three absolutely amazing movies, and we only we only scratched at the tip of each yeah. iceberg. There's so much. There's more so about much more movies. that we could have talked about, and there's so much more that's going to come. In the discussion. So I've said from the very beginning that we were dedicating the entire month of March to Lord of the Rings. Well, there's four. And I release an episode weekly. Well, there's four release dates in the month of March. But we've only there's only three movies. So I have gathered my own little fellowship, if you will. And we are going to talk about we're going to gather and next week. We're just going to have a nice little roundtable discussion, a fellowship, where we talk about the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a whole. And I'm so excited for this gathering of the minds. I've uh, I've got together a great, a terrific crew of people. So Stephen's going to be rejoining us for this one. Uh, I have got the boys from Porcelain Peak joining us, John Anthony Tone. I've got yeah, yeah the, awesome. And then I've got the boys from up in Canada. Mark and uh, Brooke from a podcast on Elm Street, they will be joining us as well. And we're just all going to sit around and talk about the glory that is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We're going to be discussing different things like the big differences between books and movies. Uh, They are all going to get their opportunity to talk about how these movies have impacted their lives or influenced their love of other movies because they didn't get three episodes to talk about it. Um so it's going to be a fun discussion, a great gathering of the minds, and I think that's just going to be a wonderful way to round out everything that uh, Stephen and I have been doing here for these uh, last three episodes. And uh, again, I'm going to be, I'm excited. I'm always happy to talk about the Lord of the Rings. I'm excited for uh, these. It actually prompted me to start rereading the books too. Ooh. So I'm, I'm a few chapters into the Fellowship of the Ring. Um I was kind of hoping that uh, by the time we got to the roundtable discussion, I would at least have finished one of the books. But God knows between planning this, 
job, kids, wife, everything else. I just don't have that kind of time. Uh, but uh, I am enjoying the reread of the books. I really ought to download them on audiobook now that I really thought. Yeah, about that's it. the last. Uh, that's the way I did it the last time <sighs> I quote unquote read them was audiobook. That's how I did the Harry Potter series the last time I did my reread is I got them all on audiobook and it's really worth it. Oh, I should have done that this mm -hmm. time. Um, sometimes audiobooks though are a miss for me. Like uh, one of my favorite book series that um, I read recently was the Red Rising series. I have, have you and I talked about this? No, I don't know what that oh, is. Oh my! You need to check out these books. Um, it's called Red Rising. Uh, the uh, it's I call it Star Wars meets Spartacus. Okay, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, seriously, that's like the best way I can describe it. Um, it takes place in a future. Um, a lot of it happens in space. So it's talking about our, the, it takes place in the planetary system. So the opening book uh, starts on Mars and then it expands from there. Uh, but uh, they're in this new society. Uh, it's very much built off the idea of... Um, Roman and uh, a little bit of Greek and Roman uh, societal mythology and stuff like that. But um, and everybody's uh, categorized by colors. You got your reds, you got purples, you got silvers, and of course the highest class being mm. gold and things like that. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun to read this books, and it's about um, it's about an uprising, you know, breaking those society, the society oppression and things like that. Uh, I highly recommend the series. But what turned me off is that I was like, I read these books and then I wanted to go back and reread them. I was like, well, I enjoyed the audiobooks of Harry Potter so much. I wanted to uh, listen to the audiobook of uh, Red Rising. Well, it was very difficult for me to listen to because the guy they got to uh, read it has a very thick Irish accent. <laughs> and I'm like, ugh. And I listen to audiobooks on one and a half time speed. Uh, yeah. I, I also do that with podcasts. I listen to them at one and a half time speed. Um, it, it, that made it even worse. So even when I slowed it down to just regular speed, I was having a hard time with it. So I was like, you know, I gave up and I'm just, I ended up rereading it instead of listening to it. So sometimes audiobooks are a miss with me. It uh, depends yeah. on who they get to read it. Now, uh, going back to one last tangent here about the Harry Potter audiobooks, you know, the ones I got were obviously the Jim Dale ones. Those are the most popular, the most commonly known ones. But, um, um, oh, what's that actor's name? Stephen, Stephen, Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry also yeah. did a audio recording of all the books and i really want to listen to those because stephen fry i love listening to that man talk yeah it's apparently really great i've heard really good things about that yeah, not, that no version. offense to jim dale he did a fantastic no. job but uh i really want to see fry stephen, stephen fry, fry yeah man. speaking of stephen fry he was in the hobbit yeah, exactly Ugh. it's embarrassing <laughs> a little bit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so you've got that to look forward to next week, guys. I'm going to have all everybody there, and we're just going to have a fun time talking Lord of the Rings. Uh, Canadian Jesus brought up a great idea for all all of us to participate in a fun little contest, so that's going to be fun. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this journey, this very long journey through three 
fantastic film. Steven and I have been uh, talking about this. We text about this often. We talk about this often. It's yep. just like, again, there's so many things that we wish we could have dull uh dived a little bit deeper into and things like that so maybe eventually like i teased at the beginning of the episode you know that peter jackson bug will hit and we're just gonna have to go back and do some additional recordings to add in and release an extended edition of these episodes at some point because i think it's a good there's so much more to talk about Yes, a lot. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a fantastic idea, but we got to take that break. Um, Yes. So with that being said, I think this is the perfect time to say farewell. And uh, we will see you next week when we all return to or when we all come together for our fellowship, our secret meeting in Rivendell, Mm -hmm. that sexy city. And (laughs) have a good time just talking Lord of the Rings trilogy in general thank you again steven for joining me on this uh thank you very much for uh letting me um take up everyone's time talking about these movies that i love so dear ah, you're and insane for doing this with me just saying i loved it, it was perfect. <laughs> it was great. i loved it too all right guys be safe out there and uh we will see you next week and that's how we do that's how we do